Wrestling Geeks Nation. This is your pal, Dane Alves, another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and go over all the shows uh, from the last week. Um, apologize, uh, due to certain situations, it was kind of hard to try to get two shows out this week, but we got one jam-packed show. I've got segments I'm going to try to do, maybe you could say ESPN style. Uh, to kind of speed up the process to go over some of the big things that happen. But we'll be concentrating on a lot of different subjects. Mainly, we'll be talking a lot about Wednesday Night Wars, SmackDown, our predictions tonight for Hell in the Cell. But we got a couple other big things to go over. But, of course, I can't do that all by myself. Joining me is my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? Doing good, man. Drinking some coffee, trying to get woke up here. But uh, excited to talk about... Holy shit, so much wrestling we watched last week. <laughs> feel like it uh, was the never-ending wrestling story. Absolutely. Um, and kind of now, just let, let's get right into it. This is going to be called, and I have no clue if we're going to continue to do this, or if I'll just do this if we have single shows, but this is the Wrestling Geeks Alliance Roundup. Some of the other big things that happened in wrestling that uh, you know should be mentioned. And not also in the worlds of wrestling. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say is that last night... Um, or actually, I should say yesterday in Abu Dhabi, uh, Khabib Namagermadov uh, beat Justin uh, Gagey to get to an incredible 29 wins in a third straight wins in the UFC with his title. And this would be the first match after the passing of his father and actually be his last match. He retired after the match. Uh, first round, really good. Uh, Gagey got a couple uh, great kicks in, and uh, but the... <laughs> I swear, Khabib, the way that he works, uh, I shouldn't say works, the way that he fights, he puts so much pressure on the other opponent to get into a submission lock, even more so, I would even say, than GSP. And I know that's a big fucking thing to say, but put so much pressure. He blew him up. Second round, he was, uh, you know, Justin was still blown up. Uh, he went for a really great kick, but almost got like a dragon screw from Khabib that Khabib just spidered his way into a triangle, made him tap out. We also had the Ring of Honor Pure uh, Tournament semifinals. Uh, the, the, they got taped last night, so we should be seeing what the finals are going to be. But now it's Jay Lethal against uh, Hot Sauce, uh, Tracy Williams. And uh, we're going to be having, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Jonathan Gresham going against Josh Woods. Jay Lethal has predicted at the beginning, which if this happens, I'll be happy, even though I think it's predictable, that it's going to be between him and his tag team partner, Jonathan Gresham in the finals, but I could see them throwing a curveball in hot sauce, Tracy Williams beating Lethal because they seem to be pushing him, going against Gresham in the finals. That's what I'm predicting, and Gresham wins the whole thing. So there's that. NXT UK had a contract signing that was actually one of the better contract signings I've seen in a long time. Of course, it just did not end up really good for Ilya Dragunov. Uh, he went to say something after signing the contract to Walter in Russian. 
um, that pissed him off and just got chopped and destroyed throughout the arena, and Walter looked like a monster. Uh, the big news, uh, we'll kind of go into more detail by itself, G1 Finals, Kota Ibushi beats Sonata, uh, two-time G1 uh, champion. I'm pretty sure they were back-to-back. I'm pretty sure he won last year. Uh, what you call it? Uh, what you call it? Chris will, will definitely let me know if I'm wrong about that. And Okada gets screwed over by fellow uh, member of Chaos, Will Ospreay. And then we had Impact Bound for Glory, lots of title changes, and we'll go into the matches after we, you know, talk first about this other stuff. Uh, any of those key points that you'd like to talk about before we kind of go into more detail about the G1 and Bound for Glory uh, pay-per-view? Yeah, I mean, the, the Khabib fight was great. Uh, on, also on that card, the Whitaker fight was really, really good. Like, probably my favorite fight from that whole show after going back and rewatching most of it. Um, so I definitely recommend it. It was out of left field that he retired to me. I didn't expect that at all. So it was a little shocking. Um, it's just always weird with UFC when people retire because they seem like they don't actually retire, much like in wrestling. I'd be curious to see if he does want to come back and, and get that 30th win. But, you know, sometimes like a major passing in your family, something like your father dying, uh, can change your, your outlook on you know, your career, your, if it's even worth doing this fighting, spending more time with your family, for instance, stuff like that might just be more important to him right now. Uh, I mean, Michael Jordan kind of had a similar situation after his father passed, he retired and went and played baseball. I mean, there's a lot of athletes you could draw conclusions to. Uh, that's the first one that comes to mind for me. I have to agree with you though. He has a way of just wearing down his opponents into getting thrown into these submission holds and like you said he just blew up his opponent and dominated much like we've seen him do in the past um the gsp comparison i think is spot on i I, you could say either one of those guys are either the best or one of the best of all time right as far as uh male competition goes in in the ufc for sure Uh, for the ring of honor for ring of honor I, i tend to agree with you i mean uh they, they're probably going to use Lethal to put over Hot Sauce. I could easily see them doing that, but I could see them going with a very predictable route. It's it's a toss-up to me. I would personally rather see Jay Lethal win and maybe... Two times? Yeah, two times and then start working again. Maybe a little bit outside of Ring of Honor. We kind of talked about this offline, but it would be cool to see him like work in NWA against Nick Aldis yeah. or something like a champion versus champion type deal. I think that would be good for both companies right now coming out of the pandemic or well, coming back from leaving during the pandemic, I should say, cause they both were off the air for so long. Um, trying to think what else do I have to, I, I guess we'll get really into the impact stuff, but yes, uh, it's as far as who won G1 last year, that was Kota Ibushi. He wins back to back have no problem with this. I feel like he's probably getting the title at Wrestle Kingdom. They signed him to what seems like a lifelong deal, as he called it. <laughs> so he's planning to wrestle there the rest of his life. If you're going to push him, now would be the time. It kind of sucks because Naito's reign is overshadowed by a lot of other things in that company. You know, the president getting fired, COVID shutting down right after he defends it for the first time. And uh, it would, to me, it might even be surprising to see if he, if Naito makes it all the way to Wrestle Kingdom as the champion. I'm curious to see what they do there. But uh, yeah, you were spot on as far as who won last year. What I what I like about Abushi is I think that they finally have found 
you know, what New Japan has called since the 90s their Three Musketeers. The first Three Musketeers in the 90s were Keiji Muto, um, uh, Chono, and, oh man, now I'm going to look like a friggin' idiot. This is stuff that I do to myself. Uh, Ch- I always get Chosu, the Ricky, Ricky Choshu. No, he's 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 still considered more of like an '80s darling that went into the '90s. Uh, I always get the four pillars in all Japan mixed up with the three musketeers because they're both '90s. Uh, and uh, okay, so so I don't look dumb. It was uh, Shina uh, Hashimoto and Marasharo Chano, Keiji Muto, and then in the 2000s, the new group was uh, obviously Shibata. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and uh, Tanahashi. I think that Okada and Naito have become those two counterparts, but I really think that Kotobushi is going to be molded and has been molded into the third biggest name that takes them, you know, even into the next decade uh, with Okada and Naito. So I think Kotobushi makes a lot of sense. Weird with Okada, man. Will Ospreay screwed him over. This takes him out of the title picture, but puts him in a good feud against. Someone that, you know, he's mentored Will Ospreay throughout the years. He's helped him out. And they always have incredible matches. They had a great match uh, in the G1 tournament towards the end before he ended up inevitably screwing him over with Bree Priestley coming out. And that newer gentleman with the uh, taped up fist, I don't know what his name is. Um, he's got to either be someone that came over that I'm not aware of, that's a Japanese wrestler, or, or I'm assuming a young lion that just now got a character. But... He's got a new evil faction. He turned heel and he screwed over Okada. Holy shit. I mean, I really thought that Okada was going to be thrown in the title picture. Obviously, they're keeping it off him to be safe and try to build some other people. But it sucks also, like you kind of said. I mean, Naito, just between Kota Ibushi now winning, the overlooming of, of Okada still there, uh, the fact that Sonata, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Sonata beat him to get to his placement? Well, they would uh, they would have been in separate blocks. Oh, they were. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Well, just having problems with issues with Evil, at least. Like, there's a lot of issues for Naito. What do you think about Naito's future? You kind of already went into it a little bit. And also Okada's future with Will Ospreay. I, I love the idea of a feud between Okada and Will Ospreay. It's something that we had even alluded to two or three years ago when they had that first kind of teacher versus student match um, in the middle of the G1, like I said, a couple of years ago. But I, I, lo- I love the idea of a heel Will Ospreay. I know that's not going to be a lot of fans' cup of tea just because he is – I would say he's the most overguising wrestler or, you know – English wrestler on the roster currently. Um, but that makes for a hell of a match. I like being, bringing in Bea Priestley to be kind of his mouthpiece manager. I think that's... And that's she's the, uh, the champion in, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Stardom, right? Correct, yeah. She is, in the cha- she is the champion of Stardom, who I think they're owned now by the same media conglom- conglomerate. Yep. So it's just neat to see Stardom... Even if it's a small thing like this, having some react or interaction with New Japan, because it would be really cool to see. Just because New Japan's never really focused on women's wrestling at all, and I don't think they're going to start um, necessarily, but it would be cool to maybe see some prelim matches or something from the amazing wrestlers they have in Stardom. And also, she's just a great character, and her and Will Osprey is like a heel team. That should be really, really fun, especially because Okada seemingly has no friends left. <laughs> Being as good as he God. was for so long, 
Uh, he doesn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you you really think about it, Will Ospreay was the last one, and now it's just Lonely Okada. He's like he's worked himself into the Tanahashi position where the only people that are going to help him out are people that just have respect for him. So you might see, like, not Naito. I, I'm assuming we're going to get a bunch of tag matches coming out of this, but uh, it was really surprising. I thought it was really, really well done and definitely one of the highlights of the G1 tournament. The match itself is not, like, the best match I've ever seen them have. But, uh, yeah, good shit. And gave you a way to get, you know, Okada was leading that block. It gave you a way to set him up for failure that made sense and uh, push, you know, Sonata and and who they wanted, I guess, Abushi into that into that slot. I could still see Sonata getting a title shot before Wrestle Kingdom and possibly even winning because they still seem strong behind him as well. Yep. It just depends on what they're going to do with Naito, I guess. I'm glad that I'm glad that Sonata's kind of getting away from his uh, demeanor uh, before and his character of being kind of not like how do I put this? Not in the same level as say, um, God dang it, I can't think of his name for some reason. Um, he's huge right now in AEW and he's lazy. Uh, why can't I fucking think of his damn name? Um, Extremely lazy, tired, uh, puts his hands with Orange Cassidy. You know, Sonata kind of had a similar gimmick, not as over the top like Orange Cassidy takes it, where he'd be a little bit lazier about his whole entire concept, like, eh, and kind of go into matches. And it seems like he snapped on his intensity. He even I haven't seen him do the the uh, the little human cube thing where he kicks him that I can't stand uh, so much because it's ridiculous. But he seems to really be taking it from the matches I saw in the G1 tournament. So I like, I always say this every year, you know, I like him progressing and getting more uh, character, him and evil, actually. They both have built themselves a lot within these last couple of years of just being viable competitors uh, without just having to, you know, be an LIJ, just being Naito's, uh, you know, goons. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And I actually like that comparison quite a bit. But the, um, I, you know, it definitely seems like they... The Gato, Gato was has has pushed them past the mid card at this point, both of those guys, and maybe that's why we're seeing a little more intensity and seriousness out, out of those guys. I say that, but then Evil had like a dick shot match with Diano for ten minutes in the middle of the G1, so <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows? But uh, yeah, the Sonata the Sonata seem the Sonata push to me seems very real, and I def I think they want to get back to him and, and Naito in a match again, and that's why I could see Naito possibly losing. Losing that title prior to Wrestle Kingdom, unless they just want to do Naito versus Abushi, which is not a bad match, but right now they're both baby faces, essentially. I mean, I guess Naito's a little bit of a shade of gray and always has been, but with everyone turning against him from LIJ, it, he kind of comes in a little sympathetic. So I, it'd be it'd be interesting to see if he actually holds the title all the way to Wrestle Kingdom, which we're not that far out of. We're only two months at this point, right? So we're almost through October, so shit. That's crazy to think about. We're almost through another year, Dane. <laughs> Let's get this one over with. Let's get the Wrestle Kingdom. I'll be a much happier person. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was the G1 tournament. Uh, I saw quite a few matches, not as many as I probably should have, I guess. You know, just because they're always incredible, just works of art, just with the things they put on. But... um. Big fan, happy for Kota Ibushi, and we'll have to see what happens with him, Okada, Sonata, uh, Naito, 
evil all of them going forward, Will Ospreay. But uh, let's go over last night. We're filming this on Sunday. Uh, Sunday Super Show, uh, for whenever you're listening to this. Um, last night I was Bound for Glory. Both me and you watched it. It took place in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, no attendance. You know, they've just been doing what they have been doing. Uh, just open set and just, you know, just kind of what Ring of Honor's doing, which makes a lot of sense if you don't want to deal with the backlash of the media or any situation breaking out. But um, I'm going to go down the list of matches, uh, kind of give my ideas of how the match went. I'll pass it to you, and then I'll do my overall. You do your overall uh, for the match. Now, Bound for Glory, the way they were saying it, is their WrestleMania. So I will keep that the first, uh, you know, statement that Josh Matthews said over and over again throughout the whole entire fucking event. Um, because I thought their last pay-per-view, um, forgot what the name of that one is, Slammiversary maybe, was yeah. a better a better pay-per-view. And I know that those are kind of like their SummerSlam WrestleMania, if you will, for TNA. Um it just uh yeah, we'll just get we'll 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 get to that part. Let me just make the matches. And the pre-show, the Deaners, I didn't even see this match, went against the Rascals, apparently beat them in less than four minutes, which I like the Deaners, but I like the Rascals a hell of a lot better, so I'm kind of glad I didn't see that. Uh, Rahit Raju, the champion of the Impact uh, X Division, uh, in a pretty pretty fun X Division match, uh, went against uh, Chris Bay, Jordan Grace, TJP, Trey Miguel, and Willie Mack, and beat them all. I was hoping for Willie Mack, or even Jordan Grace, who... You know, I hate to say this, but we'll have a battle royal, which is, you know, whoever wins can pick their championship to go after and had women and men in it. Um, there's a couple people over over Tessa Blanchard that I think really at least look like they could belong <laughs> fighting against the men. Jordan Grace is definitely one of them. She is, you know, just a badass. She's she's fast. She's extremely strong. Um Ty Valkyrie's another one that seems size-wise like she could definitely, like, rock some of them. Same way I feel, you know, if we were ever do this, which we wouldn't, but in the women's uh, wrestling, you know, Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair, certain people like that, you know, it's a little bit more realistic to put that in there. But uh, Jordan did not win. Willie Mack did not win. Rahit Raju got some heelish win. They had a 13-minute, 22nd match. Rhino eliminated Sammy Callahan to win the intergender call your shot match. 20 wrestlers, basically just a battle Royal, very similar to Royal rumble, but like within minute segments and the last two people had to have an actual match. Uh, he won with a gore against Sammy. We should note that James storm made an appearance. He got taken out, uh, but that's because they kind of put themselves in a bad situation. If, if heat Slater and Rhino did not win, Rhino got fired, and Heath would not get a contract. Even more unfortunate, in real life, Heath actually really messes up his knee. He instantly went down and was, in real life, you know, trying to recover from that throughout the whole match. So I hope he's not going to be out for long because it looked like he really messed it up. He just landed wrong on it, and that was it. He just he was he was on the ground. People kept on trying to engage him. The refs or him would tell him like I messed up. Like you gotta get away from me. You know, and rest were talking to him throughout the whole thing. So I hope Heath, after that whole entire storyline, kind of made the the battle royal predictable. Uh, we we find out from there. But uh, James Storm obviously was the biggest person, and Hornswoggle, I guess. I don't know. I was expecting Zack Ryder, aka Macardona, to come out. 
Uh, we had a very interesting match with Moose and EC3 uh, that was cinematic. Like I told Chris last night, if this was the first cinematic match I saw, I'd probably have been like, wow, that was really well done. But since it's the million fucking one between every goddamn brand, even if Impact, along with Matt Hardy and, and Jimmy Jacob or Jimmy, no, not Jimmy Jacobs, um, whoever helped him out. I forgot what the, the guy's name is. He's now in NXT. Uh, whoever basically made the Hardy compounds, Impact's kind of the ones who first started doing that. But still, alas, they become way too fucking popular. I thought Ken Shamrock, Eddie Edwards, had a great match. Um, uh, you know, for Ken, for his age, man, he ended up winning against Eddie Edwards because of some interference with Sammy Callahan. And then we had a tag match that really just was good, but I don't know the angle of why exactly Alex Shelley was taken out uh, beforehand. Obviously, him and Chris Saban have been, you know, going back and forth with the North after taking their titles after their over a year reign with those titles with uh, Ethan Page and uh, Josh Alexander. Josh gave him what looked to me a safe uh, pile driver, so I don't think it had anything to do with that up on the ramp. But Alex was out for the whole entire match. Chris looked great. Everyone looked great in the match. But I wanted to see, obviously, the Motor City Machine Guns. And I know for a fact, without even asking him, Chris was definitely uh, let down from that. Out of nowhere, after showing us a video package, for some reason, Kylie Ray was not there and Sue Young came back. You know, we've seen Susie recently, the other split personality of, of Sue Young, the more nice one, and she beat Deanna Perrazzo. Uh Deanna's only had, I think, two matches, both against Jordan Grace, where she beat Jordan. So that's very strange. And Rick Swan defeated Eric Young to become the Impact World Championship. Uh, just uh, really good. Uh, Rich, Rich Swan. Is their their key baby face and uh, happy for Rich that he got this. Uh, both him and his wife, who's Sue Young, both got their championships back to back. So that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, as a whole, kind of a letdown. The Battle Royal, I kind of wish had more surprises, even if they weren't, you know, surprises that were going to be there forever. It was kind of eh. Also, um, the tag match, not having Alex Shelley a part of it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, I mean, they, they, they changed on every title. So I guess the X division's not that big of a deal, but I thought Raju winning again, that was kind of all right, I guess. Um, I don't know. It was, it was a decent pay-per-view, but for being their WrestleMania, it was a bit of a letdown and I don't know why Kylie Ray, I don't know. She's been doing a lot of those, uh, extra indie shows. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, why she wasn't involved in the women's match. It's just uh, it's strange, but uh, Chris, you watched last night. You know, what what did you think about the card itself? Uh, I would say lackluster, and I thought the price of the show itself was a bit much for what they put out, even with this being their quote unquote WrestleMania. I never remember them saying this is their WrestleMania. In fact, didn't they used to do the inductions, the Hall of Fame inductions at Slammiversary? That's what I've always considered their WrestleMania. I don't know. Well, but whatever they they sold it as that this is definitely their second biggest show of the year i mean it's bigger than like victory road or some of the other notable impact pay-per-views so i you know if if that if that's what they're going with now as using it as a season reset towards the end of the year i'm i'm fine with it it just didn't come off as big of a show as slam aversity i think slam aversity was a much better show um in general that being said out of the matches uh rich swan coming back from his ankle injury i think he looked great it's good to see him get the win here. I think he's 
he's got to be one of, if not the biggest baby face in the company. I actually like the battle lot outside of uh, Heath Slater, unfortunately, going down. He did post on Twitter. He, he had to go to the hospital afterwards, so it, he did something pretty gnarly to his knee. He apologized to Rhino immediately, so I think the finish at least involved him and Rhino, and they had to audible it. From what I can tell, because he had he posted an apology on Twitter to the fans and Rhino, which I mean he has nothing to apologize for. It's not like he he didn't do anything outlandish or crazy when he got hurt. He just landed bad, and shit happens in wrestling. We see it all the time, unfortunately. But yeah, this is just one of those things. Um, I will say Brian Myers was amazing as a heel in this match, and I hope they do a lot yep. more with him. <laughs> uh, Another thing that was cool in that match, Tommy Dreamer coming out with an animal tribute, even the haircut, oh, uh, yeah. uh, face paint, and doing the mini doomsday device with Swoggle. Uh, <laughs> basically, he got down on his knees and picked up the opponent, and Swoggle came off the second rope. <laughs> it was like a tiny version of the doomsday device, which was really the, kind of the only comedy that happened in this match. And, and I like that format for a battle royal, where the last two actually just have a match as opposed to you just get taken over the top. I think more companies should actually adopt that. That, that. That's very, very intriguing. I might even do the last four, honestly, <laughs> and do a four-way match or something. I think that that's a cool, cool-ass way to handle it. Um, specifically, yeah. if you're first into the Royal Rumble, you know, like, that, that makes the win even bigger if you have to actually win a match after being in there for so long. But it, James Storm coming back was good. It sucks that he couldn't win. Like you said, they booked themselves into a corner. Um, Raju winning the X division title, have no problem with it. I thought the match itself was pretty good. TJP looked really good in the match. Um, trying to, was Ace Austin. Didn't he get like, didn't he get three submissions at one time before someone fucked him up? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Ace Austin looks great too on the show. I think he's one of my favorite impact current impact wrestlers. Uh, much like you, the tag match, very disappointed because they've been building this thing so well between these tag groups and Alex Shelley just getting taken out before the match. Very, very unfortunate. I was sad about that. Uh, Saban did a great job as being the constant in peril baby face. Cause he just got his ass kicked by everybody basically <laughs> for most of the match. He had some good comebacks here and there, but uh, that was more of the story. And, and to some extent it overshadowed what I thought was a really good match. Just Shelley, getting eliminated right off the bat. Now, I don't know if he was hurt or favoring an injury or what. Um, the pile driver he took looks scary, but upon second watching it, it's just Alex Shelley's that fucking good. You're 100% right. He just tilted his head perfectly out of it. It just looked crazy <laughs> when I watched it first on my... Because I was watching on my cell phone, to be fair. So I was like, holy shit. And then going back and rewatching it this morning, I was like, oh, that's not that bad. Alex Shelley's just amazing. Um... Uh, I'm not going to bury the moose match too hard just because I didn't watch it with sound. I had it with on with closed captions. So maybe the sound made it better. Okay. So the, the flashback scenes, (laughs) the fucking flashback scenes and the, that match um, was such a letdown compared to the buildup. And I hate it when that happens. And you know what? Uh, I don't want to put him in the same type of realm, but since EC3 is doing a really cool concept, and we know that he's a damn good character. Uh, he's he's a he's a he's a formidable wrestler, but I don't think that's his strongest suit. Um, it's kind of like Bray almost. Uh, what I've seen from Bray in the past, where it was cool vignettes, awesome stuff building up, 
And then the match was last or lackluster. This one just happened to be even more so annoying because it was a cinematic match, and we've seen them like six fucking million times this year alone. Yeah, that, and they also did some like shot for shot scenes from Fight Club. Like, for instance, yeah. when Edward Norton destroys Jared Leto, they basically do that with Moose and EC3 in, like, middle of this match <laughs> with the yep. ground and pound. Um, I mean, it's even shot the same way. You could put those two things side by side and be like, oh, yeah, shit, that's what they were going for. But it's also wrestling, <laughs> you know? Like, I would have preferred for them to just have a fucking normal match. And I, they have good chemistry together. I thought this was fine as far as in-ring goes, but it was a little bit of a letdown to how well they built that. And uh, Moose just wins, so I have no, where, no idea where the hell you're going with this. You know? <laughs> like, that's the other part is, uh, okay, well, you brought in EC3, you gave him this giant push, and then he loses his first big match. So, uh, that's fucking weird. There's a lot of that on this show, like the North regaining the titles. I think me and you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. It's like, well, if you're going to fucking flip the titles, why would you not flip them to the Good Brothers? But maybe they, I mean, I, I'm assuming they're just going to go back to Motor City Machine Guns in the North, but then what What the hell are you doing with the Good Brothers? I don't know, man. One thing I will say, it kind of coincides with the uh, Ken Shamrock match. He got inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, and it was really awesome that Dwayne Johnson inducted him and put him over huge for helping him out at the beginning of his career. You know, Kent just went on a li- or on a whim and, and put it on Twitter that he wanted The Rock to do that. And The Rock did that. He made an awesome video package. McFully also congratulated Ken Shamrock for his career. It was nice to see Ken get some recognition that I hope, you know, I don't care. I don't know if he cares or not, but I hope he eventually gets from the WWE since he was, even before Kurt Angle, the first legitimate guy coming into the world of wrestling that did a great job with wrestling and then, you know, even got the IC belt in WWE. But when he went to TNA, he was one of their first big hot commodities. And he got the NWA championship, which he, ho- high, or he holds high, kind of like Dan Severn, as something as big of an accomplishment, you know, as other past titles he got in legit fighting with UFC and stuff like that. So uh, great seeing Dwayne do that, man. Who's cool with yeah, the God, you asked me this last night, and the only name that I like I could come up with was like Steve McQueen, but he's dead. So The Rock is the coolest motherfucker on the planet, I guess, at this yeah. point. <laughs> uh, no, it was great seeing. I mean, it was a really good speech by The Rock. I definitely recommend uh, everyone checking that out. And congratulations to Ken Shamrock, friend of the show. Make sure you guys go check out that interview we did with Ken. It was, Absolutely. It was a good time. Um, and I, I agree with you. I, I think he should eventually get inducted into WWE. The weirdest thing about his induction... And there's not a whole lot they could do about this, but having him accept it in front of no one, like I, I may have had all of the wrestlers come out or something, you know, yeah. just so there was a little bit of an audience there. That was sad. He didn't seem to mind. Rock did a great, like I said, Rock did it, had a really good induction speech for him. It wasn't really, a, I, well, it's not the same thing as an induction speech in WWE, but he definitely put over the fact that Ken Shamrock was great to work with and helped him massively in his career. I mean, he kind of helped shape who The Rock eventually became, if you think about it. The Nation of Domination, um, him and Ken versus the IC title. That was kind of The Rock's first big feud. Yeah, and uh, just just good stuff showing you that The Rock is a good dude, man. And uh, happy for Ken, really happy for Ken for his accomplishment with getting into Impact's Hall of Fame. But uh, like I said, overall, 
I thought it was a fine show uh, for being, you know, like I said, Jeff Matthews and Don Callis, who I really think are a great ta- are a great commentary team. I don't mind Josh with his wife Madison during the main shows, but I really miss Don Callis, and I'm glad that he at least does the pay-per-views because Don, even though he's, you know, obviously working with Scott Demore as the heads of Impact. He's one of the best commentators on the planet. His stuff in New Japan with Kevin Kelly was my favorite commentary team for years. So um, I liked I liked the show. It just uh, nothing too special at the same time for as much as they built up with it. So I'll just leave it at that. You have any last comments before you go into Monday Night Raw, the season premiere? Hey. My only thing I would say is that they need to charge less for their pay-per-views. $40 yeah. is a big ask for an impact pay-per-view. Uh, I don't know how you handle that, but it's uh, it's a little crazy to me that that's, that was the amount they decided to charge for what this show was. I There was some good stuff on it. There was some stuff that I disliked. It was middle of the road. It was not better than NXT or Impact or NXT or AEW's standard show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which that's what makes it such a hard sell to ask me to pay you fucking $40 for it. I agree, man. Um, all right. So let's, let's go down this raw card. <sighs> Jesus Christ. So many things I have a problem with. We'll go over into the one big glaring thing in a second, but let's, let's, uh, the opening I actually thought wasn't bad. Uh, the main problem I had with it was the ending with the match between the hurt business and the retribution. But we have Alexa Bliss and her new female Bray Wyatt type of concept in the ring. She calls out Bray. He comes out with his music. They're in the ring holding hands. The uh, Retribution, you know, with Ali come around the ring. They're not making any type of movement inside the ring. When they go in to attack them, lights go off, lights come back on. They're both gone. Her business enters. Uh, they have a match, uh, four on four. And uh, not a bad tag match. I just thought it was really fucking weird to not only have Retribution lose, but to have Donathan or, or Dominic Dijakovic. I forgot what his fucking, you know, st- stupid name in Retribution is. He takes the uh, loss uh, in. I know they're they're promoting it as his, his new Bobby Lashley's new finisher, but in a fucking full Nelson. Now, why not Dio Madden or Shane Thorne? especially if you're going to have Dominic go against the Fiend in Hell in a Cell tonight for one of your matches. Didn't make a lick of sense. I don't know why Retribution lost that match. They could have gone many ways, but it kind of just just flat. And Ali come back with that cool promo later, admitting that he was a hacker. That was fine. You know, it would have been awesome if they kind of had that before this match uh, leading up to it, but... It just takes any credibility from that team. And if you're going to have the guy go against Bray Wyatt, I mean, he's going to get destroyed. And you didn't help him by having him fucking tap out to the goddamn Phil Nelson from Bobby Lashley. Why not Dio Madden or, or Shane Thorne? Like I said, that it didn't make any sense. Afterwards, Bray came back, reappeared on the ring post with uh, right next to Ali, uh, started attacking everyone. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was about it. Then later on, Hurt Business uh, got offered – uh, to be part of Titus Worldwide, and they just beat the shit out of Titus. And that was pretty much, I guess, that um, feud for Raw. Uh, I liked certain aspects, more of the Bray stuff with the opening. But like I said, that was a really stupid... Uh, why? why? Well, I'm going to ask you why a bunch of times for losses tonight. 
first one, why the fuck did Dominic Dijakovic take a full Nelson submission loss on the first match for Retribution in the season premiere? Does Vince already not give a fuck about his new creation? He seemingly doesn't care. He, I mean, I think he sees that it's not working. And I, he gives up on things very quickly. So I, to me, this was a burial of re- retribution. I don't see anything crazy happening at Hell in the Cell in, in the sense of the Fiend losing. It's good for the Fiend to have a different opponent that's away from your heavyweight title picture. But I don't necessarily know that this is going to be great uh, for anyone involved in retribution. I think the one person you could possibly save is the guy who took the pin, unfortunately, which is Dominic Dijakovic. And, and then potentially you I, maybe they're splitting this group just to have Mia Yim and Dominic Dijakovic be singles guys, um, which yeah, if that's possibly. the case, it's smart. But they they got fucking demolished by the fiend. They got demolished by the hurt business. Uh, it's really hard to give a shit about this this crew. So as far as the why, I'm going to assume that Vince knows that this isn't working and he's. Moving on from it. I could be wrong, but that's that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, it's 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 strange. Well, uh, next we had AJ Styles coming out with uh, a new muscle, if you will. Uh, Jordan, uh, I always screw up his damn name, Amog Behind, um, who was pretending he wasn't the doorman for the Fight Club. That's not going to be no more with Shane McMahon, but. He was it, it, like the per, like, the person that made that gif online put it looked like Vegeta with Napa. Uh, <laughs> AJ's in front of this guy, just talking shit, you know, just building up this match with him and Matt Riddle. And uh, you know, Jordan won't move out of the ring. The ref actually has to beg him, like, you can do whatever you want afterwards. Just can you please leave and get your your hand off of me? And so AJ gets him to go outside. So then they have a match with Matt Riddle. And Matt Riddle loses! Like, I know it's AJ Styles, but how the fuck does that help Matt Riddle? <sighs> well, I mean, it doesn't help Matt Riddle, at least. I mean, if he would have lost because this guy got involved as AJ's bodyguard, maybe it would have meant more, but him just losing the way he did. There was a little bit of involvement and interaction, but pretty much the guy just stood there and balled up his fist, right? Jordan? That's kind of like what he did the entire match. And I'm also curious on why they didn't use Joseph Park for this since they did that interaction with him and AJ with the park and park and park law firm or whatever, and then never went back to it. Uh, him, him coming out with abyss. If you're, if you're just looking for a monster bodyguard, you could have done abyss and it's Halloween. You could have sold some fucking masks. Could have had abyss show up at hell in a cell. Um, feels like a missed opportunity. I'm glad they're giving this guy something else to do. That's not, that's not the uh, fucking whatever they're calling it, Raw Underground or whatever, which I'm glad is canceled because I I had gotten tired of that after the first week. But yeah, weird, weird they didn't put a uh, at least do a no finish or something with Matt Riddle here. But I don't know, man. I, I you put him on Raw for the very first time, you just have the fucking guy lose. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it did, like you said, it is AJ, but fuck. At some point, you gotta start building other stars. What AJ's 38, 39. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you heard a little quick uh, uh, thing since we were talking about EC3 earlier. Apparently, EC3 is claiming that he had the idea originally for a Fight Club-like thing where you use actual fighters because he had this concept of wanting to use Fight Club, obviously, as a storyline and him being this Tyler Durden-type character that he's obviously doing now in Impact. 
But beforehand, he wanted to do vignettes where they had actual fighters from Raw SmackDown fighting in the background. He was the one who was kind of in control of that. And he's claiming that is his idea that got stolen. Do you have do you think there's any credibility behind that claim? It's very possible, but once you throw an idea out there, people are going to use it. It's not your idea anymore. Yeah, specifically with Vince. Like, if you threw that idea against the wall and he took it. And also, it wasn't a good fucking idea. Like, what he ended up doing in Impact is way better than his original idea if the original idea was to have, like, worked shoot fights in WWE. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so do you think Lana is buried enough? So... It, of course, the burial's over. Lana's getting the uh, championship match against Asuka. Well, actually, Asuka destroys her. And then, for some reason, the women come out. Um, the women's tag team champions come out and just take Lana and put her through a table before their match. And uh, let's go to the end of that match where Lacey Evans, new recruit, for some reason put with Peyton Royce, who was in a tag team with Billy Kay, but I don't even know what the fuck. But Lacey Evans takes a pin. Lana gets goes to a table. Lacey takes a pin, and they're still the champions. I like the 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 pairing actually of Nia and and Shayna. I've been a fan of that. But uh, I mean, it's obvious with Lana. And why the fuck did Lacey take the pin out of all of them? Like no one from the Riot Squad could have. I don't know. Maybe it's because she fucked up that entrance so hard. <laughs> Didn't she like majorly botch the entrance? <laughs> Had. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to agree with you. Why would you have her take the pin? It seems like out of the riot squad, she would be the person you could potentially build around, but they haven't done a good job. They flip-flopped her way too much. They gave her kind of the big show treatment as being a heel, then a babyface, then a heel again. They don't know what they're really doing with her character. So I'm kind of done with this. Let's break up Retribution. Let's get Mia Yim in there. That gives Asuka some new fuel. I think they need to figure out a way to make more tag teams. Uh, also, if I'm Lana and they ask me to go through another table, I'm going to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you don't have to do everything they ask you to do, Lana. Contrary to popular <laughs> belief, you can't tell Vince, no, I'm not going through a fucking table tonight. Sorry. All right. So the, uh, the most... I mean, what's what's he, what, he going to do? Release her? It's not like she wants to fucking be there anyways. Good point. <laughs> like... For some other company that her husband works for, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I don't get it. Another thing that I don't know if I get, Elias had a concert. And you could tell that he was definitely uh, lip-syncing. I'll call you out for it. I don't give a shit, Elias. You're lip-syncing. The music actually didn't sound that bad, I will say, if he had any contribution. And uh, I know Elias has... He's shown in, in uh, different things, interviews, documentaries. He actually can play the guitar. He kind of played it up like he was like learning, but uh, I thought he was good. Uh, just thought this was whatever. Uh, I know that Dave uh, Meltzer, in defense of the uh, dinner debonair uh, segment, was like, "Well, you know, Elias just had this segment, and uh, my my, you know, if if you dislike it, basically with the dinner thing, the little dancing that we'll get to when we get to AW, uh, and my." Retort to that would be, who the fuck said that the Elias thing was good? Because I did not think this was good. Uh, I thought this was whatever. The best part of it was Jeff Cardi, who can actually also play music, doing the guitar solo at the end and then attacking Elias. So it uh, looks like they're going more into that feud, which I'm fine with. Uh, I kind of wish that Jeff was doing something else, but 
this is this is whatever. But uh, yeah, what the fuck did you think of this segment? I, I just don't understand why Elias and Jeff Hardy's feuding when it's well known that Jeff Hardy's not the person that hit him with a fucking car. <laughs> I don't know, man. Elias is a Elias is a weird dog. Uh, uh, it also, was this a Christian song that he was doing? Is that the gimmick now? Is that he's going to start doing praise music? Uh, <laughs> I didn't listen to the lyrics enough. Uh, Maybe he's okay. praising himself. Maybe because uh, it seems like the idea was that the Jeff Hardy is the devil, <laughs> based on the lyrics. So. I don't know. It, it, Jeff Hardy and Elias, it should be fine. Whatever. Jeff Hardy can probably get an okay match out of out of that. I just don't know. I mean, obviously, they need something for Elias to do. There has to be something better you can do with Jeff Hardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely would have to say so. Uh, it was cool seeing uh, in the Kofi Sheamus match, having Big E in the Thunderdome, uh, you know, trying to, in his own way, on a TV screen, trying to get Kofi into the match. He ended up beating Sheamus. Uh, Ali admitted that he was the hacker. Uh, we had Otis, uh, or maybe he was not Otis. Maybe it was El Gran Gordo coming out with Tucky. <laughs> it's, they can't even fucking last a week before having someone come out from a different brand on another goddamn show, but whatever. Uh, the, big, the big fat. <laughs> that, that was... That was the gimmick name they came up for him as a Lucha, the big fan. And I love that he's wearing the same outfit that Mickey James and Becky both wore a couple of years ago, just without the blue shirt. Um, yeah, that was that was <laughs> the big fat. And then Braun beat Keith Lee, and then Keith Lee low-blowed him. So I guess they're putting Keith Lee in more of an edgy situation, which could be good or could for no reason turn him heel. And if that's the case, fucking stupid. But uh, how do you feel about Braun beating Keith Lee? Isn't Braun a fucking heel? I don't know. I have no idea anymore. So now we got He is the big heel. show. He literally you you were talking about the big show earlier. He literally is the big show now. Uh, yes, spot on. But why the fuck would you not just have Keith Lee beat him? I don't know. <laughs> uh, last but not least, Randy and 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 Drew had been hyping up their matches with different vignettes. Um, and Randy came out to talk some more shit about Drew and was in the cell, locked it so that Drew could not get in. And Drew miraculously finds bolt cutters and, uh, gets in and, uh, him and Randy fight going off air. So that was, uh, that was Monday Night Raw. Um, I'm still looking forward to that match, but why, how the fuck did Drew know that? Like, come on, that type of stuff is just ridiculous. I mean, the the thing that would have made the most sense to me is if Drew was just under the ring, you know, and then yeah. just came out from under the ring. Like, that if, would you use awesome. the, if you use the bolt cutters, you kill the fucking gimmick of the Hell in the Cell. The entire idea is that you're not supposed to be able to get in or out. Why couldn't he have caned it? Why couldn't they have, like, uh, you know, made it so it was looser and he just ripped the fucking door off? That would have been a hell of a lot more effective. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have him break in, you might as well make it awesome. But the problem is is that you do that during the match. You don't do that before they have their match. Right? So, but I, honestly, it would have been awesome to see, you know, Randy waiting for Drew, and then Drew comes up through the ring Undertaker style, and like he said not too long ago against Randy, was like, you're going to see me in your nightmares, I told you that! And just dragged him underneath the ring. That would have been cool. I would have I been down for that. 
Yeah, any any kind of him coming out from under the ring as opposed to breaking into the hell in the cell would have been a better way to handle this if you if you absolutely had to do this. Which I don't think you need to because you've given us so much backstage fighting between those two. They both could have just probably cut a promo. You could have had Drew cut a really good promo about how fucking Randy Orton's a coward. He's fucking yellow. Look, you surrounded yourself by a cage so that I couldn't get to you. I'm already in your head. He could have just cut that promo and I would have been probably a little more fine with it, but. Um, a little more happy. Yeah. Either way, it's going to be a good match. They, I, they've, they've proven, I think, that they can have pretty good matches, and this one should be no exception. I'm not the biggest fan, but I can't complain about their matches. I'm just not a huge fan of either of their in-ring styles. But they've, they've worked pretty well together. I, I, you know, outside of just my personal preference, not liking those styles of matches that much, uh, they've worked really, really well together. It just sucks that Keith Lee just lost to Braun, because I. <laughs> It would make more sense if he was eventually put here. I was going to ask you with their, you know, with the draft itself, I was kind of noting and, you know, not like I said beforehand, not counting legends, obviously Randy Orton's associated with Ron and whatnot, but I don't think Drew's pushing the needle. I obviously don't think it's his fault. Um, Is there a reason? Because if you kind of look at people that, kind of get recognized outside of wrestling, whether or not we feel about his match quality. I think there was a reason to take Bray Wyatt with the fiend, with those segments that, you know, people ask about that don't know wrestling and putting him on here since they don't have Becky, they don't have Charlotte Romans on SmackDown sets now on SmackDown. It seems like there is a reason why they put both Bray and also AJ who kind of has that same type of legend quality as Randy Orton. So Bray specifically to kind of give it, more star power, I guess, but you know, time will tell to see if that actually works or not. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, my major complaint would be, does anyone really want to see Fiend and Orton again? No, no, don't say that. <laughs> Cause we've been down this road with Bray and fucking Orton before. And it was not good. Anyone remember a match at WrestleMania where they fought in like a fucking shed and then, made it all the way to the arena, then fought in the ring and cockroaches and shit happened. One of my least favorite matches of all time. <laughs> my God. And hearing Randy Orton talk about that interview and they were asking, um, you know, whose idea was that? And Randy just flat out without burying the lead, just said, well, I'll just tell you, it was definitely not me or Bray's idea. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that. So uh, I'm pretty sure that was uh, Vince's uh, concept. Fucking yeah. stupid. They got way too excited about those fucking LED lights that you LED, <laughs> it's awesome. We can have bugs. Who bugs? Do you remember when they used to have that Viper uh, thing for Randy Orton until everyone pointed out it just looked like a penis <laughs> on the ramp? <laughs> yeah, it did look like a dick. Oh, God. <laughs> good, good times. Good times. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like they, they, they're wasting Keith Lee. He should be the guy that's feuding against AJ and, and The Fiend and all these cats coming in. If you're not going to have him in the title picture, that would be the way I would go. But now he's a heel. So fuck if I know he just low, he just low blow brawn for no reason. And that, and, that's, and that, that is the reoccurring theme I was talking about in this whole entire thing. The biggest dumb thing that raw did writing wise, you have Dominic Dijakovic, one of your new stars, a part of your, your, your things. And you're going to have him go against Bray now on hell in the cell. He loses. You have fucking Matt Riddle. Just came over from SmackDown. Lose. You have Lacey Evans. Just came over SmackDown. Lose. 
And then Braun, who it does not matter. I don't think if Braun gets a fucking win or a pin, even if he gets low bloat afterwards, he beat fucking Keith Lee clean in that match. So some of your biggest stars that you could be building on the season premiere of your show, two of them coming over, they all fucking lose. Yeah, that and like their third what was their third pick was fucking Naomi and she's not even on the goddamn show. <sighs> so yeah. what, that's isn't, another one. isn't that your next like that's got to be the next match for fucking Oscar? I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on with them. It's like they're it's even when they're unpredictable, it's not a good thing. SmackDown was a much better show. We'll just go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and throw that one out there. <laughs> Well, before we get to SmackDown, I'm proud that we got through everything else, including Monday Night Raw, in like 50 minutes. That's pretty damn good. Um, let's go over Wednesday. Uh, we got a couple shows from Wednesday. Unless you want to go over SmackDown and then do Hell in a Cell and then do the Wednesday Night Wars, how do you want to do this? In order chronologically or WWE to the better wrestling? Oh, let's just let's go ahead and just get through all the main product, and then we'll talk about the stuff that we really enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> all right well if that's the case sunday happened friday i don't think even though i do think it was a better raw show it was one of uh smackdown's better shows because they've been doing pretty well i would say lately um we started off with kevin owens coming out doing the ko show um and bringing out daniel bryan uh they both talked about their career even you know their hostility before in the past it made me really wonder where the fuck this is going uh, and then Kevin Owens talked about wanting to be a tag team champion, how he used to be in a tag team and he's never accomplished that and is trying to pers- persuade, you know, uh, Daniel, who's trying to go for the IC title that Sammy has um, away from that for this tag match. Well, we basically had a bunch of people come in. You know, we would have Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler uh, come in and start talking shit, if you will. And the Street Profits, the tag team champions came in. And Cesaro and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, we had a little bit of a brawl. And then, of course, impromptu tag match, player, player. We had the Street Profits, Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens going against Cesaro, Shinsuke, Robert Roode, and Dolph Ziggler. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good tag match, but, I mean, it's a four-on-four, so it's just a bunch of craziness. I thought that Angela Dawkins was one of the guys that really stood out in this match. For a big guy, this guy can fucking move. Daniel Bryan scared me. Uh, they did use it in the storyline of the match, and he would sell it the whole entire match and then afterwards. But unlike, unfortunately, what happened to Heath Slater, it looked like Daniel was fine. But he came and did kind of like his flip off the uh, off the um, ropes and did like a backflip and landed on his, on his foot and made it look like he landed wrong. But luckily, that wasn't the case. And the winners, uh, Street Profits, Kevin Owens, and Daniel Bryan, I'm pretty sure it was for uh, Montez Ford's huge frog splash. I uh, love seeing Montez Ford also on the uh, SmackDown uh, after show. I should know what the name of that is. Uh, Talking Smack, where him and Kayla and Booker T got to go over the whole show and have a bunch of awesome guests. I would recommend it because they had they had Bianca Belair, Montez's uh, real-life wife, uh, Sasha Banks. They had uh, Paul Heyman come out and, and talk, which is probably the better segment of the night. But um, – Good stuff. Montez has a lot of upside. We always say that, but Angelo Dawkins definitely stood out. His spine buster that he's doing now is gnarly. So, um, yeah, that 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 was uh, about it. But uh, how'd you like this this sum up? We would have, um, you know, Kevin Owens leaving one way, 
in the back, Daniel Bryan all of a sudden seeing Sammy going up to him and talking, and Sammy basically saying, like, all right, you know, I like what you said, but stay away from my title and quit telling me what to do with it about trying to defend it every week. And Daniel was like, no, I'm going to take that title, and that's what I'm going to do. And Sammy let him know, I'm the one who fucking beat you at WrestleMania, Daniel. So I thought all that is good. I have a a counter question involving KO, Sammy, and Daniel Bryan. But first, what did you think about the opening, the KO show, and then the fucking four-on-four tag match afterwards? Doesn't Daniel Bryan already have a tag partner in Drew Gulak, or are we just done with that storyline? I guess we're done with it. Okay. Well, outside of that, you know, I thought this was a good setup for our opening match. Uh, I like private – God, did I almost call him private? Is it private party? <laughs> no, it's Street Profits, but I don't street blame profits. you. Fuck. I mean, because – well, it's, I mean, it's not Street Profits' fault. As far as I know, they, they were doing the gimmick on national TV first, so that's that's on me. But uh, I like the Street Profits. They've been entertaining. It's good to see them just having matches and putting on decent matches as opposed to just being the uh, sort of the bandoliers of Raw for so long. It's good to actually see them holding the titles and putting on matches. I'm completely fine with Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens if they go the tag route. There's no reason why Daniel Bryan can't have hold both titles. They have everyone else hold two titles, so, like, fuck, he could just do both, I guess. I'm just more surprised that Sami Zayn didn't give him a warning about Kevin Owens. <laughs> Build all the way back to their past with Ring of Honor, him and El Generico being tag champions. I'm also surprised that Kevin Owens has never won the tag team titles, either with Jericho or with Sami, but I guess that's the thing. Is that a thing? I, I thought for yeah, sure maybe apparently. he held it, but I, I guess not. Let me look it up. I mean, he definitely said that. He definitely said, I really want to win the tag titles. I've never won them. But I, I was, I thought maybe him and Jericho or him and Sami Zayn had held it. But that's been a while. That's a while back. So who knows? Most of their feud was them feuding with yeah, he's never won it. Man. If he wins, if he wins the tag titles, he will be a uh, what you call it a uh, Grand Slam champion because he's won the U.S. champion three times, the IC champion twice. The NXT Championship one time and the WWE Universal Championship one time, so that would be cool for KO to get that uh, last win. But uh, what I'm wondering, Chris, with the three of them involved, is this going to be a way where somehow I don't know how they're going to do the screwing over exactly, where Sammy and KO are in cahoots and they're going to actually go for the tag titles themselves, and somehow Daniel Bryan's going to get that IC belt off of Sammy within that i don't know how they go about that that might be more complicated than the fucking tv writers can handle but it just made me wonder why are they associating like daniel bryan might be going against sammy for the ic belt there's a feud there but kevin owens is trying to pull him in this tag title you know it seems to get hit out of out of sammy's way almost you know i just don't trust kevin owens because i know him from beforehand well i just don't trust him as a character i think everyone understands that but you know what i'm saying i that would make the most sense to me if they go that route and put him and Sammy back together because Daniel Bryan's got to be the babyface in all of this. And right now, Kevin Owens is a babyface, right? So yeah. if they go that route, that makes the most sense. Shouldn't be that hard, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I do say that. You could have a situation in which uh, Kevin Owens continuously wants Daniel Bryan to be his tag partner. He gets fucking fed up. 
Daniel Bryan's in this IC title match. He comes in, gives Daniel a stunner, and fucking Sammy retains. And then Sammy and him go after the tag titles whilst, uh, you know, Bryan is still chasing for that IC belt as well as trying to get revenge on these two. So I, I could easily see them doing something like that. It's not that crazy to book. Just just use matches to do it. And don't do 50-50 bullshit. It'll be, it won't be that hard for you guys, I promise. Yeah, I agree. Well, next we had a what was supposed to be, I think, an entertaining segment uh, called Lawn Otis. And it was the uh, courtroom scene where basically Miz is trying to, um, you know, sue Otis for negligence with his championship, among a bunch of other stuff, uh, creating an unsafe works environment, destruction of property, emotional distress. And... Um, they had their own lawyer, uh, Ms. Mo- Ms. did, uh, along with John Morrison, but they ended up just kicking her out because she wasn't good. Um, well, no, she made a lot of sense. Uh, that would be brought up. I'll just go over the whole entire segment, even the ones that happened later on in the night. So Otis is uh, being questioned. He is representing himself. Um, and, uh, you know, we find out that the judge is – JBL and that you know the the cop that kind of like swears him in is Farouk and the guy who's typing up everything including Oscar in Japanese is Theodore Long. Certain things were funny in this. I will say when Oscar's up and they do that whole entire thing where Theodore's like I got it all play a play you know and uh Rey Mysterio bringing up the why why shouldn't he uh, because he won the money in the bank like duh. And then at the end of it JBL's about to throw it out and uh, Miz gives him a bunch of money, a, su- a uh, briefcase full of money. He starts laughing, and he says that Otis is guilty, and they will have a match for that uh, Money in the Bank title, or Money in the Bank briefcase, at Hell in the Cell. So Otis versus Miz for that briefcase. Um, thought the segments were whatever. Um, any AEW you know, only fan, one of you guys that are very angry out there that don't love all of wrestling, kind of like I do. Um, you'll once again, and a lot of people will say like, "Oh, the dance thing was so terrible." I didn't like that, and I didn't like this. So there you go. A lot of this stuff is fucking stupid. A uh, little bit redeeming qualities in certain aspects, but mostly the parts of sports entertainment that I don't find entertaining. Bum bum. Uh, Lon Otis, uh, Chris, what'd you think? I feel like they missed a golden opportunity to have wrestlers court with the undertaker as the judge. <laughs> and so then JBL would have had to have been the, the defense attorney at that point. Cause that's what he usually did. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. Or Joseph, once again, a piss Joseph a park has AJ's Another lawyer. Person. Could have been someone's lawyer. Uh, you also missed a opportunity to have Tucky just come off like a genius and be <laughs> Otis's lawyer here. Like, that would have been great. There's a lot of things they could have done. that, But uh, whatever. I mean, it's just a funny fucking... It's a mid-card story. You know, the difference is... No one involved in this right now, maybe with the exception of Morrison, is what fans put MJF at. Like, people put MJF as, like, this could possibly be one of the best heels in the entire world if used properly. That's the huge fucking difference. The same thing with Elias doing the song and dance shit. Okay, Elias is a fucking mid-carder. 
he's not MJF. MJF is supposed to be one of your top heels. So for anyone bitching about this and trying to do comparisons between like WWE using lower mid card guys to do entertaining segments or legends, it's fucking huge difference. The people, the reason people fucking hate the MJF thing is because it makes you not take MJF seriously and he should be a serious fucking heel on your product. And now he's already been surpassed in my opinion by Eddie Kingston as the top heel. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And we'll get more into the detail about that later. I think that same goes for comparing it to the karaoke thing that Jay Uso that Jay Uso did with Dana Brooke and and uh Naomi and all them. I don't think anyone really liked that segment either. And it's all in I've, smaller quality compared to um and, and some of some of these fucking fans are so fickle anyways because the entire point of AEW was to not do this shit, to not do entertainment, to do wrestling where wins and losses matter and tell wrestling storylines and they're doing this shit. So well, it's you know, blasphemous in its own right. <laughs> Bully Ray made a really good point. He goes he says it's funny because if you look at the main product, even though they've had some really good matches and they've been doing a lot more lately than they have in the past, I feel like NXT is a better wrestling product overall, match to match, bell to bell. And even though they said they weren't going to be, they were going to be paying attentions to sports-like aspects, stuff like that, AEW's become the better sports entertainment product than WWE. Uh, and I tend to agree with them, and it's the fact that it's, it's now sports entertainment more so. Even Impact, I think, would be considered more sports entertainment. And now I think something like a Ring of Honor would be more, you know, pro wrestling. Uh it's just funny because that's not what they originally said they were going to do with AEW. Yep. Agree with him and you a hundred percent on that. Like what they said they were going to do. And look, I'm not taking anything away from the, I liked the rest of the entire AEW show, which we'll get into later and they have good ass matches. So it's not just all sports entertainment, but yeah, they do a lot of the same shit that raw and SmackDown does that people hate. It's just with uh, rose colored glasses, I guess. For some people <laughs> yeah it really is well uh our next match uh they did a big promo package for bianca belair she'd be going against Zelina vega thought both ladies did good but obviously this was supposed to be a match to put over bianca belair uh towards the end vega sends uh belair flying out of the corner belair catches vega and launches her in the air then delivers a big right hand on the way down belair grabs vega and presses her high above her head from the mat it looked fucking awesome she literally picked her up you know, uh, did did a bench press and then put it right over her fucking head. And I know Vega's obviously a smaller woman, but it, it still looked pretty damn impressive. Uh, and Belair marches across the ring with Vega in the air, then drops her on the turnbuckle and then gives her the KOD in the middle of the ring for the pin and the win, Bianca Belair. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty much it. Uh, how did you how did you like the handling of Bianca Belair here? I thought it was fucking awesome because she's coming over technically from Raw. And so same thing with Zelina Vega. And they actually gave us a good match. And you put one of them over as opposed to what Raw did with, like you said earlier, with the draft picks that they brought over. So I actually like this a lot. And uh, Bianca Belair is someone they need to heavily utilize who could easily be in the title picture against either Sasha or Bailey. Yeah, I agree. Next up, we had Lars Sullivan going against Shorty G. I think the biggest thing is the fact that Shorty G didn't look like shit in this. Um, I mean, he lost to Lars Sullivan, but he was getting uh, the better of him a couple times. And afterwards, he said he quit. And I was like, 
and we'll talk about it later, you know, the fact that Austin Aries quit, I was like, are they going to put them in some impromptu tag team and put them back on NXT or maybe Raw? Or I had no idea where the fuck they were going with this. So he was getting talked in the back uh, by that bald gentleman that I'm forgetting, bald gentleman, Ring of Honor fucking alumni. Adam Adam, Adam Pierce. <laughs> Adam Pierce. And Adam was like, are you serious about what you said? And he gave a pretty good promo about, like, you know, I'm an Olympian. He goes, I'm not. I'm quitting as Shorty G. That's that's not my name anymore. I'm I'm Gable. I'm Chad Gable, you know. And if this is the case, that's good. I'm glad that they're giving him at least that. I don't know where this goes from that, but if we can now start, you know, seeing Chad Gable as really the person that has potential to be the closest to a Ken, to a uh, Ken Shamrock, not not Ken Shamrock necessarily, but a Kurt Angle, even said out of Kurt's mouth, you know, I know that Kurt. Wouldn't come back to manage Matt Riddle. I'm wondering if he'd have a different, you know, opinion coming back to maybe manage uh, Shorty G and like even a pay-per-view match. If that's something that Kurt, because Kurt really got a good relationship with Chad. Chad's a big fan of him for his Olympic background and his background. They had like a little bit of bond similar to his with uh, Apollo Crews as well. Or no, yeah, Apollo Crews. Um, so. I like the fact that they're getting rid of this stupid gimmick finally, but they did this to themselves, and I hope that J- Chad Gable can benefit from this and is not completely lost because, like him and Rick- Ricochet, are both very close. Where ton of potential, he, they could do so well in in somewhere like an AEW or or a, a New Japan and flourish within those companies and be taken seriously. But if they are finally going to be taken seriously, it could be great. But it's WWE, so who knows if that will actually fucking happen. So uh, what do you think? Are you glad that he's not going by Shorty G anymore? Yeah, I am glad. I actually liked that Lars Sullivan match with him as well, even though he lost. If if the idea was he lost because he's being Shorty G and he's turning into back into Chad Gable, I'm completely fine with it. I don't know who he's going to feud with. Um, if they just continue him feuding with Lars Sullivan and he never gets a win, then I'll be down on this. But right now, I'm 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 glad they're going this route. I think maybe it's a year too late. It's going to be really hard to undo the damage to that guy. Bringing in someone like Kurt Angle to be his manager's not the worst thing in the world. I don't think that Gable necessarily needs a manager, but I think the presence of Kurt Angle might help him rehab the character a little bit. If I'm being completely honest. But uh, the promo itself, I thought was really, really good. So I liked the majority of this. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, so Lisa Ashton is backstage with Seth Rollins. She talks to him about Murphy and how Murphy will be basically shown who is the Messiah and who is the disciple tonight, and he's going to put him in his place. Essentially, not a bad promo. Um, then we see Roman Reigns backstage in his room. He looks angry. He's got a fruit tray and a cheese tray in front of him. Paul Heyman tries to, like, you know, whisper something in his ear. He basically just tells Heyman to piss off, you know. So we're, we're, the tribal chief is not in, in – in, in, he's not in a good mood, Chris. Um, yeah, and then that Chad ba- Bagel – Chad Bagel, Chad Gable segment happened. Not Chad Bagel, <laughs> by the way. Before oh we God, get to – I wish his name was Chad Bagel. <laughs> before we get into move the was just uh, called everything. Oh god damn it. Just uh before we get into the Bailey segment, did you have anything to say about Rollins talking about Murphy, Roman Reigns, or any, I guess anything else with the Shorty G thing? I guess we're done with that. 
I like Roman is taking a different route than Brock, where Paul kind of was Brock's puppet master, seemingly. And Roman's like, no, fuck off, I'm Roman Reigns. So I like that aspect of the difference between those two guys as far as their handling under Paul. It reminds me more of what CM Punk was doing with Paul Heyman versus what Brock does with Paul Heyman. So to me, I, I, I liked that segment a lot. I, I pretty much like everything they've done with Roman. There's not been anything that I've been like, that sucked since he turned heel. It's been fucking awesome. And I think he is potentially going to have the best match with his cousin tonight. I really do. If it's anything like other Uso Hell in a Cell matches, it should be really, really fucking good. Yep. All right, so Bailey comes out. She says, you know, Banks says, uh, as ungrateful brat, doesn't deserve, blah, 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 how she is Grand Slam women's champion winning the tag titles, the women's NXT title, the Raw and SmackDown. She's had, she's had the uh, title for over a year now, you know, just building herself up. Banks comes out. She ain't fucking having it. She goes in. She's got the uh, the uh, contract itself, and she's telling Bailey to quit being a bitch and fucking sign it. Uh, Bailey tries to go for the chair that she was sitting on in the ring. Sasha gets a hold of it. She fucking puts her neck in the chair and is trying to force her to sign it, and then it gets her up in a different way with the chair put out. Uh, I thought that this was really fucking creative, and the way that they had it and how Bailey looked like she was in a lot of pain, and then she signed a damn contract at the end of it. Sasha lets her go and basically just tells her that she's going to uh, she's going to defeat her and take her title uh, come tonight. So I thought this was really good between the two ladies. I thought it was creative and uh, looked like it fucking hurt, Chris. Yeah, I thought it was very creative. It had shades of uh, it, it reminded me of Sasha in the Charlotte Flair match where Sasha put her put Charlotte Flair in between the, the railing, the walk down railing. And yeah, gave her the statement it made her tap out in the audience, right? Yeah, it definitely had that feel to it. I want this to be done. So hopefully Sasha gets the title here and we can move you know, on to something else. They're on the same brand, so they're going to cross paths again. But uh, if you're going to pull the trigger on Sasha being your champ again, now would probably be the time. And, and that takes – I'm not taking anything away from Bailey. I think Bailey uh, took, a, took chicken shit and turned it into chicken salad considering how long – She's had the belt, especially if you consider COVID and the fact that they also threw her back in a tag team with with Sasha. And she's done well as a champion. If you don't believe me, go read PWI. They had her ranked number one uh, overall as also, a wrestler this year. I would also recommend uh, checking out the newest Chronicle that got released yesterday with Bailey, And they build up to this last SmackDown that... Uh, it ends right before that SmackDown. So it's just good to see Bailey's head about it because more in depth and a lot of people don't know is her stepdad who raised her uh, died. And I don't know what he died of. They didn't mention it on the documentary right before the SmackDown uh, that she was going against Sasha. She also mentioned, and I don't know how much I hundred percent believe this Chris, because they had a documentary out with the two six, uh, 2016 draft where apparently no one knew where they were going. Uh, but Bailey says she had no idea where the fuck she was getting put. She obviously thought she was staying on SmackDown because she had the title, but she claimed that the draft, just like always, no one knows where they're going. Do you think there's any level of credibility, or did you get a chance to check out the documentary? 
I didn't get a chance. To, I didn't get a chance to check out the documentary, but there's probably some level of credibility just because Vince doesn't know what he wants to fucking do day to day. And she doesn't have like a spouse <laughs> or anything on SmackDown that would lock her directly to SmackDown. They could easily have flipped her and Oscar and put because at the end of the day, it's who's going to be drawing more on Raw. Right. So they could have easily flipped her and Sasha to Raw and moved Oscar to fucking. So maybe that's what she was talking about more so than anything else they i mean they could have moved oscar to fucking SmackDown, and then just had them trade titles like they did with the new day and <laughs> um uh god why can i not think of the tag team's name now shit we just talked about them earlier street profits yeah which was a really smart idea uh fucking name but um yeah i i i would definitely check that out it's only 30 minutes and it goes over a lot of stuff in a small amount of time and Kind of gives you Bailey's headspace. It's really unfortunate, but also very impressive that she was able to go out SmackDown because they were giving her a chance to like leave and not have to do that match. But she was like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay." But uh, you know, she is a badass man. I give her a lot of credit for what she's been able to work with, and she's accomplished pretty much everything within her career. And uh, I definitely think the heel turn helped her overall. I think the hill help the hill turn helped her, and I would also argue that she is I don't know the most developed female character they have outside of Oscar maybe yeah. until they they can get the belt back on and and on Sasha and part of this is Sasha's fault right she left for three months and um, Bailey picked up the fucking ball and ran with it so good for her like I. You know, we give her some shit. We there's certain things about Bailey we don't necessarily care for on the show, as people know. But my biggest problem with Bailey has always been this looming shadow of Sasha Banks being, to me, being the better overall professional wrestler as a character, and a little even to some extent in the ring, but leaving her out to dry, and then them never actually paying off these storylines where Sasha has been the heel all this time. For the most part. <laughs> so we get the payoff and it's reversed. So that's always been more of my problem with what they've done with Bailey. But uh well that and like her losing to Alexa Bliss and not they've done so many things. They every time they take three steps forward with, with Bailey, they it seems like they take four or five backwards. Um and this is the first real run she's had where I was like, Okay, they're doing a good job with with, with Bailey. I agree. All right, um, maybe you'll agree with me with this next match. Thought it was match of the night. We had Seth Rollins going against Murphy. And uh, it would come down to Seth getting the win uh, towards the end of the match. And also, this was a really good back-and-forth match. I would, If you get a chance to, definitely check this one out. I think these guys could have a really amazing pay-per-view. And I feel like this is not over, unfortunately, even though Seth originally – or I think Seth and Ray both separately in interviews said that they didn't, you know, they they just didn't expect the, this storyline to keep on going. So they're both kind of over it, but you know how Vince is. Um, but either way, towards the end of the match, uh, Rollins talks some more trash in Murphy's face and drops him. We see Aaliyah watching the monitor in the background uh, for now the second time within the match. Uh, Rey Mysterio and Dominic both approach her and ask her why she's watching. And, you know, you can tell that there's tension between the family members. Uh, Murphy comes back with a big right to stun Rollins. Rollins drops Murphy. Murphy gets up and nails Rollins in the jaw. They trade strikes in the middle of the ring. Murphy unloads and delivers a few kicks. Rollins drops Murphy to one knee with a setup in but Murphy comes back 
with a roll-up for two. Rollins with a big roundhouse kick and a falcon arrow for a two-count. Can't believe Murphy is hanging on, gets more pissed off. Rollins wastes some time in the corner and continues to run his mouth as Murphy recovers. Rollins goes for a stomp, and Murphy rolls him up. Rollins misses another stomp, but nails a back elbow. Rollins goes to the top, but Murphy kicks him in the face. Rollins slides Murphy's shoulder, drops him, and then hits a stomp for the win in the middle of the ring. I thought that ending segment actually was really well done. And, of course, afterwards, he starts beating the shit out of him with a kendo stick. Aaliyah comes out uh, and asks Rollins to leave. He's smiling. Then the dad and brother, obviously, Ray and Dominic, come out. There's a lot of arguing. Um, but, yeah, so we're I guess we're continuing with this. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I don't really care to see it continue. I don't want to see Ray in a feud with Seth. I don't want to see Dominic in a feud with Seth. If they want to be a tag team, great. Do that. Um, and I really don't want to see Murphy and Seth anymore. I mean, if they want to have one last big match, put it on a pay-per-view and give these guys fucking 30 minutes. But that should be it at that point. We need to get some new feuds going on if you're on a new show. I don't know why all of them followed each other. It seems dumb. What do you think, Chris? I'm more intrigued about the idea of Buddy Murphy versus Seth Rollins being the feud and slowly getting away from the Mysterios as a tag team. They can still utilize that backstory if they want, but I'm I'm actually okay with a couple more matches between Buddy and Seth. Just because I, I would like to see them round out that storyline. And also, it would be great to see Buddy Murphy get a win. I think he's fucking phenomenal. Um, you can build a big storyline here. But the thing is, at the end of the day, he has to get over, which I felt like Dominic never really did against Seth. So that was more of my problem, is they kind of wasted Mysterio and Dominic in this feud. But maybe the, the outcome is going to be different just because it's Buddy Murphy. I, I don't know. But... uh also, is Seth no longer doing the uh, Kenny Omega V trigger? Did he get yeah. asked on too long, too much online when he was doing it? I think he retired it. Although I think he did make a comment that it's funny that Kenny. I, I don't know if this is shit top, but I remember making a comment about like, yeah, he decided that he was gonna, you know, it, it's been overdone, obviously, obviously by Kenny, by fucking Buddy Murphy, by Alistair Black. Everyone does a fucking knee to the face, so. But he did note how he's not allowed to do the buckle bomb anymore. He hasn't been for a long time, and now Kenny's using the buckle bomb. <laughs> so I don't know if that was Kenny going, ha ha, bitch! You know, but yeah, Kenny's been using that buckle bomb a lot lately. That's funny that you brought that up because I've read online that the buckle bomb is no longer banned. So <laughs> I don't know the truth behind that. Oh, that's good. You know, something that retired one of the greatest fucking pro wrestlers of all time. And, and maybe convince Carrie Sane not to sign a fucking contract with WWE, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, if you remember the Nia Jax, Carrie Zane buckle bomb, that's what got that thing fucking banned. It wasn't even Seth. So, goddamn, goddamn. Well, I guess it just depends on the person doing it. I And honestly, from everything that Sting says, that was him taking the buckle bomb the wrong way. And, uh, you know, he doesn't put that on Seth. But then again, it's a fucking dumb move to be doing, just period. It's just a move that's hard to protect yourself in, in general. So, I I mean, to me, the culpability goes to both people on that one. I just probably wouldn't have done that spot with Sting. There's not a need for it. And it's not the first time Seth hurt somebody with that shit. I mean, like, he did the 
Finn, yeah, Finn Balor would be the other example, right? There's just and Finn Balor is a fucking incredible. When we're talking about Sting and Finn Balor getting hurt doing it, I definitely don't want to see someone like Nia attempting this move, right? Yeah, with someone that's like a hundred pounds for Christ's sakes. Fuck. Uh, all right. So, so the end of the so oh, they should. Uh, no, I was just gonna say they should just ban it. Like you know, they banned pile drivers for everybody except the Undertaker. Maybe if you're gonna do it, have Seth be one of the only people doing it. For sure. Yep. I can see that. All right, so we had the Tribal Chief come out for the last segment with Paul Heyman. Um, he basically is saying that he's pissed off at his cousin, that he's, you know, unfortunately going to have to hurt him, and that all he's hurting is the fact that if Roman's not on the top, then he can't feed the whole entire family and blah, blah, blah. So then we see who we think is Jey Uso. Haha, they got us. They got me at least. I did. I didn't think this at first. So, you know, we we see who we think is Jey Uso on the screen, uh, with the bandana on, talking a little bit of shit to Roman, and he goes, you know, I I think that anyone would know Jay. It would be me. And then pulls down his bandana to reveal it's Jimmy, and he goes, Jay's right behind you. And Roman all of a sudden's like, God damn it. He shakes his head. He looks behind him, just a flurry of fucking punches from Jay, and then you know they 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 fight a little bit. Jay gets to the outside. The Hell in the Cell comes down, uh, kind of guarding Roman, if you will. And Roman's talking shit inside the cage. And Jay climbs up the cage. And I loved it. Right before it went off the air, you hear Jay go, I want that, Oose. I want that. I'm coming to get that, Oose. And then it goes to Roman. And he's kind of like shaking his head no and just yelling at him. And it goes out. It was a pretty good ending, man. I'm excited about this match. I like the, the trick. You know, obviously we should see it coming since they're twins. But I, I just don't think any of us expected that. And, you know, Jay obviously got a new haircut. He cut off all of his hair. So the last time we saw him, he had that fucking haircut, you know. So it was uh, it was it was pretty well done. I, and I really love Roman. I, I like everything that's going on, like you said, with this whole entire buildup, everything Roman related, Paul Heyman related. They're doing a great job. They really are. Yeah, putting Paul Heyman with Roman and then immediately doing this family feud storyline has been great. Um, for Roman and for the Usos. I mean, I, if anything, Jay and Jimmy are over more over now than they were to begin with, right? So that's fucking great. They're a great tag team, even if even if he doesn't win this title, which we're going to get into here in just a second. Um, man, man, just good shit all around from Paul and Roman and the Usos. I liked this segment a lot. I was also a little surprised. I kind of thought they were doing something like that. Um, but even if I knew it was coming, it was still good, right? So it's hard to complain about. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I fucking love Heel Roman. Also, like I said multiple times on the show, you assholes better not start becoming <laughs> Roman fans after burying him for so many years. Goddamn. I said goddamn. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Um, so let's go over this card. Tonight, since we're recording this on Sunday... Uh, they ha- don't have all the matches listed. They just added uh, the match that I said. It was it's uh, whatever the fuck they're calling Dominic Dijakovic from Retribution against Bray Wyatt. Um, I think that's obvious that the Fiend is going to destroy him. And I mean, if they're doing anything, they're trying to make this eventually between Ali and the Fiend, which not going to help out Ali, I don't think at all. But um, it's Dominic. The, the 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 good thing I will say 
obviously one of Bray's thing that that kind of hinders him is the fact that in the ring he's not the most athletic big man compared to like you know Keith Lee or the guy that he's going against with Dominic. Uh, and Dominic can have a good match with big guys and still make it look pretty fucking good. But I don't know if this is gonna be a case where Bray just destroys him really quickly and that's about it. Uh, you can have a good match with Bray Wyatt and Dominic Dijakovic, I think. Uh, but they just threw it on last minute. Kind of makes no sense. Don't know where they're going. Um, but yeah, what do you think, Chris? I think this Hell in the Cell is going to get hacked and rise up and down, up and down, and, and then Retribution will come out and attack uh, the Fiend. Well, I don't know if this is going to be in the Cell. I know three matches are definitely in the Cell. Okay, so if this isn't in the Cell, then I would, I mean, I would assume the Retribution will be a part, like, in involved in this match though against the fiend he's gonna have to overcome the odds it's just weird they're booking fiend as a baby face really basically <laughs> so what what the hell is dominic dijakovic's uh retribution name is, is he t-bar who's t-bar one of them's t-bar right oh my god is it is it really fucking t-bar i don't know he's got yep yep t-bar t-bar okay. god damn it uh, all right. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I assume he's going to lose here, even if it means retribution and both the hurt business get involved. I, I just don't see you having Fiend lose a big pay per view match unless you're going to do something huge with Dominic Dijakovic. And my assumption would be you're going to do something more with the Fiend than you are Dominic Dijakovic, just based on how the retribution gimmick was treated on Monday. Yeah, he does kind of look canish with his little outfit, though. Um, it's interesting. Anyway, so the next match. Singles match for the Money in the Bank briefcase. Uh, Otis going against The Miz. I don't have any interest in either one of these guys, honestly, with this briefcase, but I'd rather Otis keep it than The Miz have it. Just going to put that out there. So I'm going to go with Otis. I'm okay with The Miz winning it if the idea is that John Morrison is going to try to take it off The Miz. I'm down with that. And that their friendship is going to end because I think that is an interesting storyline. And also, I just don't see any world where they're going to put the title on Otis. I yep. think they love where he's at on the card and they love doing stuff with Otis and he's very entertaining. But I don't see them. I don't see them ever giving him like a big title run or anything. I could be wrong, but fucking I mean, weirder shit has happened, but it does seem like maybe Miz gets the win here. Um if anything, if you're going to leave it on Miz, I would bring back Maurice and have her be his manager again and get him and Morrison uh, separated. It's too bad Taya works for Impact. She would be fun in that type of situation as well. Um, all right, so we have Jeff Hardy and Elias in a singles match. I feel like it's not – I can't believe I'm saying this. It's not going to help Elias if he loses to Jeff Hardy. So WWE – booking i feel like elias is going to win this match and they'll probably continue the feud afterwards because of some nefarious thing that happens in the match to get elias that win what do you think chris i feel like jeff hardy has to win this match <laughs> so i'm going to go opposite but you know i could be wrong it does seem like they're super behind elias so you're probably right but just the thought of elias going over jeff hardy on a pay-per-view is fucking baffling to me yep i would agree with you all right so before we get into three hell in the cell matches the 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 main events if you will 
I will say they have not announced anything for the U.S. title, either tag team championship titles, or the Intercontinental title. So expects one maybe out of those to have an impromptu fucking match put on this. Uh, but we have Bailey and Sasha Banks Hell in the Cell match for the WWE Women's Championship. Bailey's never been to Hell in the Cell. Sasha's been in two. She's lost to both Charlotte and Bailey. Um, feel like Sasha's gonna win this. I think a lot of people are hoping that, but hey, you know, you know WWE. So, but uh, I feel like this is Sasha Banks' night to take that title away from Bailey. What do you think? I have to agree with you because we need to move past this storyline. I'm sure that you know we can revisit it down the road, but you need to get someone like Bianca Belair involved in this title picture taking it off Bailey, doing the one match afterwards. I'm assuming they will have one more match after this one. Uh, you need Sasha to win both of them and, and hold the belt for a while. Nothing against what Bailey's been doing, but she has held the title for a year, and I think people are completely done with the Sasha Bailey storyline at this point. Yep. All right, we have Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship in a Hell in the Cell match. This has potential to be really good, actually, uh, between the two. Uh, I expect someone to get pretty fucked up. I don't know. Obviously, they don't, don't do blading, but I could see someone bleeding somehow in this match. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like this is another situation where it's, it's, it's weird, but Randy's lost every fucking time now, it seems. I don't know if he has had a win. Maybe he has within this feud. But last time, obviously, there was a lot of people that helped him in that ambulance match, get that win, or get Drew McIntyre get that win against Randy. I kind of see Randy winning this, um, and Randy with the championship kind of opens up some different pathways. So I'm actually going to go with Randy Orton. What do you think? Probably going to look like an idiot after this, but I'm also going to go with Randy Orton. Um, I went with Randy Orton the f- first time he fought drew mcintyre i just thought they were done with drew mcintyre being on top to be honest and uh by having him lose the way he did at uh, in the ambulance match it made randy orton kind of more of a sympathetic baby face than fucking drew to some extent <laughs> so um man I, I i i'm gonna go with randy i think the match will be very very good i don't think it needs to go like 20 minutes I think this is like your 10, 15-minute wheelhouse kind of deal. Yep. And the last match, big stipulations. The Hell in a Cell I Quit match for the WWE Universal Championship. Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman going against Jey Uso. If Jey Uso loses, he and his brother Jimmy Uso will have to take orders and acknowledge Reigns as the tribal chief or the Usos and their immediate families will be exiled from the Analoi family. I think Roman Reigns is going to win this. I think it's going to be an awesome match. I think it's going to make Jay look great, which is awesome that he's catching up. Because, like I've said, I think Jimmy has always kind of been a little bit bigger to people's eyes than him within their tag team. He usually does the final thing. He's married to Naomi. And obviously his cousin Roman is Roman. So this is really bringing Jay up a level. But I not only think that, but I think Jay and Jimmy will be eventually a tag team, and they will be working for Paul Heyman and the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. I don't think they're going to exile. I think they're going to join. And even though it's forced to at first, I think it's eventually going to be a tag team that Paul Heyman's going to 
manage and bring them back to dominating again. So that's my prediction for that. And uh, I hope uh, that element happens. I know Roman's taking this match, though, regardless. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Roman's definitely going over in this match. I I doubt that they would take the title off him so soon when he's got such a hot push going. And uh, I'm assuming, like we said multiple times, that the Usos will just be joining underneath Roman. Now, it may take some more convincing. I could see Roman uh, bringing up Rikishi. Like, think about your father. Think about how much this, like, the family itself means to him. I, I could see them doing a lot of that stuff. And hopefully... Hopefully, fingers crossed, they can get The Rock involved in this at some point down the line. Maybe at Mania, like we've talked about in the past. That That's that's the route I see this going. Specifically with the Usos, if they can get The Rock, that would be, to me, that's the next big match, right? Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. Do you think, though, that, you know, with the stipulations uh, staying themselves... If Jim or what I should say when Jay loses, I hate to say that, but when Jay loses, is him and Jimmy going to work for Roman or are him and their immediate family going to denounce themselves from the Analoi family and stay babyface? I, I think they're going to work for Roman because if the idea is they're going to be a tag team again, they actually need to be heel because they're going to be the main opponents for Street Profits for the next like six months. Yeah. So, I mean, that that to me makes the most sense. I just hope they they do bring up what the family means and uh, maybe get Rikishi involved in some some format, maybe on SmackDown next week, where after the match is over, he has he, he you know, you get the promo where Roman's like, now you have to make your decision. And like Rikishi's in the back. He's like, we can't denounce our family. You guys just need to work with your cousin kind of thing. I think that would be really, really great. And then if you smell it, the rock is cooking. All right. Well, that was pretty much all of WWE. We wrapped it up outside of NXT and we'll go into NXT after we go over AEW for the Wednesday night wars. Uh, this is going to be the night that's going to, you know, have all the first round uh, qualifier match for the AEW world title eliminator tournament. And uh, we'd start off, you know, right going into it with a match between Wardlow and Jungle Boy. And good match. I thought this was great because this was the only one that was kind of unpredictable of what was going to happen because both guys could use the win and both seem like they're going to be built up. Uh, but I thought I thought both guys really did an awesome job in this match. I just like Wardlow. He's a monster, but he's got a lot of athleticism. And that F10 or whatever the fuck he calls it, the one that he did outside, you know, into the ring, first to him and then doing it again inside of it. He is a freak from what JR said that that's what he referenced him as. He is a fucking freak and Wardlow advances over jungle boy and we'll be going against, I'm going to have to look at the brackets. I'll try to pull those up, but uh, I forgot who his next opponent is. I think it is Adam page. So that will be an interesting thing. But uh, what do you think about this match, Chris? I thought it was a, I thought it was a really phenomenal match, especially for an opener. And I, I fucking love Wardlow. I'm all in on the Wardlow wagon. D- don't fuck this guy up. I know he's probably going to lose to Adam Page, but make sure down the line he gets a win over MJF or Chris Jericho. And they, they when they start feuding. Give him a streak. 
eventually. Exactly. Because I, I've thought he was amazing since the first time I saw him in that fucking Cody cage match where he saved Cody Rhodes' life. <laughs> so continue to do stuff with this guy. I think he has a great look. Obviously, we haven't heard any promos from him just because he's he's with MJF right now. But there's no reason why this guy can't be a huge star for your company. Out of all the big guys, they've almost done a better job protecting him than anyone else. I'm going to have to agree with you on that, man. Um, I don't know who else you would assume that for, you know? I mean, that's uh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, because everyone else, they immediately threw into big feuds, and they've protected Wardlow. And I think you can get a good storyline out of that, and he's a new, fresh character. It's it's different than Brody Lee or, or uh, Brian Cage, which Brian Cage is a big guy, but he's not like, you know, Brody Lee, Wardlow big. Um Lance Archer, to some extent, has already taken some very meaningful losses. Wardlow, you know, he's probably going to lose to Adam Page, which is not a huge deal because I see Adam Page going to the top of the card pretty much. But outside of that, they've done a really, really good job of protecting him. Even in that loss to Cody, it wasn't like Cody demolished him. And they, they've kept him off TV except for on Dark and stuff, and they've given meaningful wins. So continue to protect this guy. Give him the MJF feud. Let's go from there. I think they could definitely do something with him. I have more faith in them doing something with him than making me care about Brody Lee or Lance Archer in the same way. I have to agree with you, man. I definitely do. All right, so we had Eddie Kingston um, making his off-air promos. Um, And uh, so it says here, taking everything from wrestling headlines, by the way, like usually, thank you guys for your breakdowns. But uh, after we shoot the announced desk where J.R. Shivani, Excalibur show us the updated brackets for the AW Ted Eliminator Tournament and run down some of the other first-round matches, uh, we go to a full promo, uh, went viral from last year's AEW Dynamite Anniversary Special as we see a close-up, high-quality video of the entire promo, which was as good, if not better, than all the online hype made it sound. What are you fucking talking about? Anyways, um, so where's the actual statements about the damn fucking promo? Anyways, after this wraps, the announced team trio informs us that John Moxley himself, who will apparently have some shocking words when we return from an upcoming commercial break, demanded uh, an I quit match for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship uh, for AEW Full Gear 2020 pay-per-view next month. Tony Khan has confirmed the match, uh, and basically John Moxley said, you know, with his mix of competence. This person doesn't fucking write anything goddamn down and just fucking puts his... Mm. All right, so I know I just gave you a little bit of praise, Wrestling Headlines, <laughs> but I'm kind of pissed off you don't have the actual verbiage down. Um, They're both great promos, but I don't need a, I don't need someone's opinion about the promos. Tell me what the fuck they are! Well, here, let me, let me give it... Let me give it a shot. <laughs> So Kingston's ripped, he ripped into John Moxley for making millions and millions of dollars in the land of entertainers. Yes, not that's wrestlers, right. but entertainers, and leaving him behind to scrap and fight, getting eliminated from NWA and fired from his other jobs. Kingston said he would die for pro wrestling, and he's going to make Moxley quit. 
that pretty much synopsis what that promo was. The reason they're bringing up the internet is that was from last week's show. He was the end promo on last week's show. He had another promo later on. Uh, Moxley's promo was great. He said he wouldn't apologize for making enough money to buy his mom a home. And he promised to be Eddie Kingston so badly he'd get his old friend back or beat him into submission, which I thought was good. I like they're playing off the relationship between Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. And then later in the show, we get another Kingston promo. I can hit that now or we can wait. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be awesome, man. That one I'm excited for. And it's not because I, bo- I think both of them are so amazingly fluid in the ring or anything like that, but I know they're going to beat the living fuck out of each other. You almost have like a, like a Lawler funk type of situation of just two awesome brawlers that could just really make it look like a badass fight uh, between the two of them. I just hope they don't get stupid. I don't need thumbtacks in this. I don't need a lot of, I don't need a flaming table or anything like that, but I feel like that could happen as well. But as far as I know, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a no DQ match. So this is just a normal ass wrestling match right as far as i i can tell with their build so i i'm gonna assume this is gonna look more like minora suzuki versus john moxley than some of the other shit we've seen moxley well moxley what, what happens back. what happens with an i quit match because he said that he demanded an i quit match moxley did oh well if he demanded an i quit match, oh, i forgot about that so yeah that'll be a no dq someone has to yell they they quit okay so there probably is going to be a flaming table and uh, thumbtacks and maybe even some barbed wire wrapped around a baseball bat, stuff like that. But either this way, is also the, this, this is also one of the dumbest things Moxley has done as a babyface. I always have praised him for coming off as a smarter babyface. He's letting um, Kingston get to him, man. But you just gave Eddie Kingston's entire crew the ability to beat you the fuck down, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> we have some uh, problems within his crew, so we'll see how that works out as well. But we'll get to there. Next match. Definitely think this was uh, something much talked about. Another one on here. I don't know how I felt about it when I originally watched it. But uh, even though he's denying it, which I don't know how the fuck that works out. Um, oh, man. What the hell? What's that runt's little name? Uh, Joey Janela. Uh, Joey Janela was taken off the card because he got apparently COVID doing one of those, if not the GCW shows, one of the more independent shows that were uh, going on lately uh, along with a lot of the people that were there. And uh, obviously Tony Khan wouldn't let him come into it or be a part of it. So Sonny kiss took his place. Either way, the person was going to get beat demolished. Um, that was the whole point because Kenny after Sonny comes out, has his new entrance and there's like a, a pre thing like building it up and Justin Roberts is going over all of Kenny's accolades. Some of them funny, some of them obviously realistic, the, you know, current, uh, triple a mega champion, the past IWGP, you know, world heavyweight champion, uh, just going over stuff. He said that he's so good at Japanese. He translates for Michael Nakazawa. Uh, he said he's had a match in North Carolina. I don't know what the fuck that reference. I'm sure that's a BTE type of thing, but, I mean, five-star matches by Dave Metzler, uh, Sports Illustrated, pro wrestler, you know, uh, pro wrestling um, top 100, number one of, of year 2016 or whatever. 
So it gets all this praise. He comes out. He's got literally fucking dancers with brooms coming out and sweeping. And uh, goes out in the ring and fucking murders Sonny Kiss uh, without little of any type of problem. Gets the one-wing angel. One, two, three. Kenny moves on. Kenny helps out Sonny Kiss afterwards, who's completely bewildered. And that is about it. Um, is he making a parody of us as fans wanting him to be the cleaner? Because that's what it seems like. And if that's the case, I don't really fucking care for that at all. I I don't know, man. It's so hard to say because of he's in he's in a transition to a major heel turn. I guess we'll find out once he gets to the finals in this tournament, which is assuming I'm assuming that it's going to be him and Adam Page. Yep, that's kind of that's kind of where we've been with this to begin with. Um, I really love the, the intro they gave. I know some people didn't like it as much, but I thought it was very funny. It did have shades of the Shane McMahon thing. Yeah, where, where Shane McMahon would make the announcer list off all his accolades. One of the funniest lines from that promo was like, he's had six five plus star matches, according to Dave Meltzer. I popped for that. That was funny. Um, and then just so heel, he absolutely fucking demolishes Kiss, which I'm not a huge fan with because I like Kiss. And I want her and Joey Janela to be a tag team. I yep. think that's like a very fun little tag team they have going. Um, but yeah, he just absolutely destroys, destroys Kiss. And then at the end, very heelish, he's like, you know, no, it was a good job and raises, raises Kiss's hand. <laughs> you know, like, no, you did great. You did great, bud. And it's, and it's just funny because they talked up the whole five-star match and how amazing Kenny Omega is. And he just came out and just fucking squashed in like a minute. So I liked this. It is a little bit fan mark service type deal though where you kind of have to you like you would have to know who dave Meltzer was you would have to realize that like kenny omega being the best belt machine or whatever which that's fucking debatable in itself because that guy's name is okada uh <laughs> but all that being said i did enjoy this and i i like this take on hill kenny and if we're gonna if this is just a build up to him and adam page should be pretty fun yeah I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what happens from this. Um, All right, so we have an interview at Orange Cassidy, sort of. Uh, Tony Schiavone attempts to talk to Freshly Squeeze. Uh, However, Cassidy uh, doesn't have much to say uh, other than being confused about next week not being in Cincinnati. And Tony's like, Orange, we haven't been on the schedule, the road schedule, for for like six months since the the pandemic started. I don't think he said all that, but it was – it was just, he's like, no, we're not going to be in Cincinnati next week. What are you fucking talking about? Uh, so, I mean, I, I, especially last week, I was a little bit hard. I wasn't trying to be hard on Orange Cassidy. I thought him and Cody had a good match. I just don't think it's believable that he should take Cody to that much, to that level. And they got a draw. And, you know, after seeing Cody beat fucking Wardlow, where they could have used a draw, or beat Lance Archer, where they, you know, I'm just saying that aspect, even if he gets wins over Chris Jericho, over guys like Jungle Boy or fucking Sammy Guevara, you know, or Darby Allen, who are about the same size. That's stuff that I, I, he's still a good wrestler, is what I'm trying to say. And I understand he's popular in here, and I love segments like this because I do enjoy his character. It's, it's pretty funny. He didn't know they weren't going to Cincinnati next week. Uh, uh, what do you think about this, Chris? 
I thought the promo was funny. I didn't have as big of the problem or big as big of a problem with him and Cody Rhodes simply because I mean the realization here is that he's the most over baby face they have right now. And that points more to the I mean with the exception of Cody who is in a weird in between period of whether he's going to be a heel or a baby face. So right after him, it is Orange Cassidy. So you can't have him just immediately get demolished by by Cody if you're planning on doing anything with him at all. And I think some of that is they've dropped the ball on Darby Allen. They've dropped the ball kind of on Jungle Boy a little bit as far as building them up. Um, Orange Cassidy, right now, as far as the fans are concerned, merch sales, etc. They got to continue to make that guy look good. Uh, the promo was funny. I just like when he when he learns that he's not going to Cincinnati, he's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> it's just so weird because then we go into an interview with Josh and Cody, and it was from earlier. Cody just got there. I love how Arn Anderson, Chris, looks like he's living his best life. He really does. He gets out of the limo. He's got fucking shorts on and a T-shirt and a hat, like just having a good time. And Cody gets out with his little suit. Uh. Josh talks about Cody gaining 14 pounds during his off time from AEW before Cody talks about his past matches as TNT uh, and the open challenges. Cody then talks about having the championship advantage in the schedule immediate rematch for the TNT championship between him and Orange Cassidy. After their initial showdown ended in a, a time limit draw, he talks about being excited that he has the day off today and he can enjoy the show as an AW EVP and watch who advances in the tournament. So uh, interesting stuff. I get that they're shooting for the Orange Cassidy and Cody match to be by itself. But at the same time, should anyone, I know Orange Cassidy wouldn't, obviously because of his character, call out the fact that Cody did take an off week with that TNT title finally. Because he said he wouldn't, right? He said he would defend it every week. I, I mean... Yes, but we kind of we we talked about this a little bit last week. I'm curious on if they were going to dial that back just because Cody's not going to be able to do the fuck show every week if he's doing this other TV show. So unless yeah. they're planning to take the belt off of him, like he had to have a week off. So it seems yeah, it seems like they are definitely dialing that back a little bit. I think that he should maybe come out and make a statement about I didn't want to overshadow the tournament for the heavyweight title. Or something, and that's why I didn't defend it, or you know, just it's just something to tie in the storyline a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I liked this promo a lot. Arn wearing khaki shorts, uh, very reminiscent of my grandpa. <laughs> Honestly, Arn's Arn's everyone's grandpa if you're a wrestling fan. He's your and he's been <laughs> he's been like that since he was in his 30s. By the way, that's what's great is that Arn Anderson. Has not aged. Just like Greg Valentine, they look exactly the same, like an older like grandpa or like your your great uncle. Um, well, Greg Val Greg Valentine. Last time I saw him, he was just dripping fucking swag in the all black suit. <laughs> as someone on as someone on Twitter said, it's the it's the ghost of future. It's the the ghost of future for Chris Jericho. He's gonna come back and warn him like, hey Jericho. <laughs> Shit. Oh for me my god. So um, no, man, I liked the one. The biggest thing I liked about Cody's promo was him talking about having to put on weight because he's having to against guys like Lance Archer and um, Brody Lee. So 
pointing out the fact that maybe he is a little bit of an undersized champion, I think is actually a good thing to note to give him that disadvantage. Because the, the reason you could say that Orange Cassidy took him to the limit, if, if you're looking at the matches, is that he just had that brutal dog collar match the week before. Yeah. So while they did the time limit draw, they did a good job of protecting Cody to some extent with that. Uh, I agree with you. So Eddie Kingston had his response to the one you were talking about. Uh, we shoot the backstage interview with Eddie Kingston, who's laughing and says, hold on, John Moxley, I'm crying. He finishes laughing, crying, and then says about before he addresses Mox, he's got to address his family first. Because unlike John, he doesn't forget where and who he came from. Uh, now Kingston talks about his Lucha brothers uh, facing off against each other and claims they will show AEW fans what the best is. Now he reacts to Mox. Um, he talks about Mox being right, and he says he hates what he's become. He says to stand a chance in an I quit match, John is going to have to go to a deep, dark place. He says, and guess what, John? I live in that place. The silence after that was louder than anything that he said on the micro microphone. I have to agree. And that evil, eerie smile Eddie gave at the end of it was pretty fucking awesome and telling. We'd have Kingston that would join the commentary team, get in a bickering fucking fight with JR almost right off the bat. Threatens JR's ass. Like, Eddie Kingston, you know, like I said, he much more is your brawler-style wrestler. He would have done great. His, his favorite wrestlers, he's gone into – such a random mix for his favorite two wrestlers, the ones that influenced him the most. One is Kawada. If you know all Japan pro wrestling from the fucking 90s, uh, stylistically, he just liked to drop people on his head and gives them fucking elbows and punches in the face. And then the other one's Eddie Gilbert, who was an incredible heel in the 80s, especially in Tennessee against Jerry Lawler and, and stuff. But, you know, another thing that Bully Ray brought up, and I kind of agree with him on this aspect that goes into Eddie Kingston is that he feels like Eddie Kingston's attitude, not stylistically, but attitude is the like modern Taz. Like he's got a fucking chip on his shoulder that they're both from New York. They got this aggression. They, they come off on a level of reality. That's, that's kind of scary a bit. And he honestly said that, Whenever Brian Cage fucking gets rid of that title, the, the person that makes the most sense to have the fuck the world title that has that big of a chip on his shoulder that is very much like how Taz was in ECW is someone like an Eddie Kingston. And Bully Ray, I feel like a lot of times I agree with him, but I, th I thought he was spot on the money with that comparison because he does have that fucking edge, man. He's he's someone that you kind of believe. Like when he was getting into the JR, I'm sure that was all ad lib, but JR knows, maybe Eddie's even warned him, but the way that he delivered it, I was like, man, someone get that motherfucker away from Jim Ross, <laughs> you know? And I thought he was great on commentary for this match that we're about to talk up, talk about. But how'd you like the promo, and how'd you like him being on, um, you know, uh, commentary? And what do you think about Eddie Kingston? So I need to make a public apology for it to Eddie Kingston to some extent. I feel like that's that's warranted here. I was not a huge fan of him in NWA uh, when he was there, and I guess I had slept on the earlier parts of his career outside of what he did with LAX, which is just an incredible tag team. I thought he was a good manager there. 
but I think he has proven the past two or three weeks that he can be a guy you can build around. He can be a top star. You're going to have to protect him a little bit in matches. He's going to have to be very brawl. Um, but there's no way, there's no reason they can't do that specifically with the crew he has around him. So I loved this promo. I thought Eddie Kingston took the entire show over with both of his promos. He looks like the biggest star on the fucking show, maybe with the exception of Cody. Um, Moxley's promo was also great, but I'm fucking stoked for that match. And if that's what they were trying to get across, they, they nailed it for me. I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to that Moxley and Kingston match. And they've done a great job of, of selling it. And Moxley just continues to have great promos as well. It's just Kingston's promos this week were stuff of legends. Some good-ass promos. I think that when he was getting hot from being on the mic, just specifically, and we were liking him more as a promo than anything else, the matches that put got him more over with me as wrestling matches was, were the ones that he had with Kevin Steen in Ring of Honor in the late 2000s. There was three of them that I watched. One of them, I'm pretty sure, was a ladder match, or at least was a hardcore match where a ladder came out. But he was just so fucking vicious, even to someone like Kevin Owens, who we know can be vicious, but just, just beating and taking a fucking beating himself, it definitely won me over a bit more with his in-ring uh, uh, ability. But do you agree with Bully that if anyone's going to bring prestige or bring any credibility to the Fuck the World title, it wouldn't be Brian Cage. It would probably be Eddie Kingston if you actually want to make it a fucking title that people should fight for. I would agree with him, but I'd also say that's a waste of Eddie Kingston. He should be at the top of the card. He should take yeah. this belt off Moxley just because you need to refresh the top of that card. Um, and it would be the time to take that title off Moxley so he can go finish his New Japan commitments and Eddie Kingston as a top heel right now holding the title with the way he's cutting promos and him having a little bit of ability to dictate the match and having a whole crew around him is not a bad person to put that title on. So I, I would almost say like, yeah, down the line, if you want to give him the FTR title or F, uh, FTW title, the fuck the world title. Sure. But right now I think you should actually give him your world title. Yeah, honestly. I agree with you, man. He's definitely up there for one of the top people in that company now. Um, and this match, man, he was commentating the whole entire time. He's actually really good on commentary, too. Like, obviously, when he switched it off, he'd still get into it with with Tony Schiavone, Scalibur, and JR. But he then was able to put over both guys. Obviously, it's easy because both guys he doesn't have to fucking root against. You know, it's Pentagon and Phoenix are both part of his crew. But Ray, Phoenix, Pentagon are fucking incredible. You know, and when they have worked together, I mean, they're pattern routine i would say is like a lot of those routine matches where the reason why you're seeing ricky steamboat and rick flair put on three incredible fucking matches back to back to back is because they did that on the road for years and they just knew each other and they just had an incredible chemistry there's so many different uh ray mysterio and Eddie, for instance um you know they had so many matches coming off and i'm not trying to compare the same level of those match qualities or anything like that Obviously, Pentagon and Phoenix have, since they, they're brothers and they've been doing this for a long time together, chemistry. So I'm sure that they've had, and someone could show me, about 15 fucking matches that were better than this one. But this one was awesome. This one was great. It was innovative. It was fast. But they didn't do anything too fucking crazy and unbelievable because they just can bounce off each other that well. And my God, I mean, 
I know Phoenix got hurt. He went and did a flying head scissors off the top ropes from uh, Pentagon and uh, fell directly on his fucking neck. And at first one, it, it looked a little scary because when they finally mentioned on commentary, I think Eddie was the one who noticed, uh, Aubrey was trying to see if Ray was fine. Uh, Phoenix, I mean, I don't think Pentagon knew that he fell directly on his neck and came up and gave him a DDT, and Phoenix just collapsed during the DDT. Um, but, you know, Phoenix is a badass. Uh, he, I don't know how long he's going to be out. They're blaming it on the, uh, the, um, the fake arm break from, from Pentagon to Phoenix, which is kind of fucked up if you think about it. Like, hey, you're my brother. <laughs> but that's fine if they go into it. But apparently Brian Alvarez was the one that confirmed he did suffer a minor injury, and they're just trying to keep him off, you know, because of that. So, makes sense. Uh, it looked a little bit nasty, but I mean, some of the moves that they did after that, the uh, the you know the power bomb, the the jump up power bomb that Kevin Owens does, that Pentagon did to the Phoenix, but Phoenix did a somersault and fell back into it. Or the ending, obviously, with that amazing uh, Canadian destroyer, but it was the finish, and it was the fact that they reversed it a bunch, and then he gave it to him. And it looked fucking just incredible. Um, they did a Spanish fly. They did every luchador thing. But like I said, like they made it look like a fight, just a great lucha libre fight, and uh, just incredible. I mean, Pentagon is now going to replace Phoenix within the tournament, and it's awesome because I said Kenny's had a great match. Two of the best matches that Kenny's had outside of New Japan as of recently was his match against Pentagon at All In. So I'm glad we're seeing a sequel to that on this because I thought they had good chemistry. And his match against Phoenix in AAA where he won the Mega Championship title. So I knew either way we're going to get a good match with Kenny. And, um, well, hopefully it's not another just get beat in two seconds. I don't want to see that, but who knows what they're going to do with Kenny's character. But I thought this match was great. It probably was the match of the night, just bar none, at least for me, between the both shows of Wednesday. Uh, I mean, I don't think these two guys together – could put on a bad match. You're basically looking at this generation's Rey Mysterio and La Parca, and that's how big they are in Mexico, and they're just as good, if not maybe even better, I can't believe I'm saying that, in ring-wise than their counterparts I'm comparing them to, which I'm comparing Ray to Ray. if you didn't know that. Figure it the fuck out. Chris, what did you think about this match? I agree with you. I think this was the best match on either show. And easily match the match of the week, maybe. Probably, yeah. Even even including the impact, uh, the impact pay per view. We'll see yeah. what happens tonight. But this was a fucking great match. I didn't expect anything less. Surprised they gave it to us on TV. Um, I think you know the one thing that made this match to me like really set this match a little higher than some of their previous matches was Eddie Kingston on commentary talking about them. And regardless of who wins and how great they are and how much they both want to become champion, he's like, well, when I win the title, it doesn't matter. I'm going to fight them. Like, I thought that was great. That was some good storytelling. I liked the uh, promo afterwards that they hit because Phoenix was injured. Um, that was great, where Eddie was like, isn't it great? Your brother's replacing you. And then it, once I win the title, I'm going to fight my best friend. And they hug each other. <laughs> And it just keeps on. I think Phoenix is going to get to the point where he's going to snap on his brother. I mean, I think that's coming, obviously. But either, either that and Phoenix, or, either that or Kingston is going to snap on one of them. So <laughs> it's yeah. great. It's just I good compare. 
Their rivalry to me, because I don't think Pentagon and Phoenix in AAA in here was really just looked at a couple of years ago as a tag team. If you watch them all the way since the Lucha Underground, there were two singles wrestlers that were brothers. They remind me in a lot of ways, not stylistically or exactly the same or anything like that, of Owen and Brett. Of course, Owen and Brett are going to have great matches. They're fucking brothers, and they've been training with each other for years. And, of course, one of them, the younger, is going to have a chip on his shoulder about the older one. Because let's face this, in AAA, in, in, in Mexican wrestling, and just in worldwide, I would say that Pentagon is probably the most popular luchador over Psycho Clown, who's the most popular in Mexico. But worldwide, Pentagon's kind of known, and Phoenix is always his brother, even if people give Phoenix the edge on being the better wrestler or the better acrobatic, if you will. Which is, I mean, the you just gave a great comparison because that's what people would say about Owen. Not necessarily the best, re- better wrestler, but he did more. He did a lot of cool shit, as Dave Meltzer called him earlier this week, a flyer. Um, very different. Both of those cats have such different styles. And I think Eddie Kingston did a good job of highlighting, you know, these guys were both singles wrestlers before they became a tag team, right? Like he said that on commentary, and I think that definitely played into the storyline. And, I mean, we've all been wanting this for a while, single runs from both these guys. The tag team division's loaded anyways. Let's let's get Ray and, and Pentagon in a, in a feud. The world wants it, needs it. It'll be great. Absolutely. All right, so next thing that we had is finally giving uh, Mr., you know, uh, John Silver a little bit of mic time, you know, going forward. And... He's been so awesome on being the elite and so funny and just good in, in, in the positions that he's in. I think that, well, I mean, obviously I want the Dark Order to eventually explode. But outside of it, I think he's going to be one of those guys that becomes, even if it, even if it's more driven in a comedic realm, a star outside of the Dark Order than some of the other guys in it. Uh, but, yeah, we have Alex Marvez. He's talking to him, Cole Cabana, uh, John Silvers, and Alex Reynolds. Um First, Silver and Reynolds claim that, thanks to the exalted one, Mr. Brody Lee, that they are going to become the new AEW World Tag Team Championship champions after they win tonight's number one contender match. Cabana is up next, and he talks about the help and advice he got from Brody Lee, uh, helping him win his way through how it will help him win through the AEW World Title Eliminator. Silver and Reynolds get worked up at Cabana at one point, claim they aren't his friend. And while talking him down, they still say he's about to become the world champion. And they're about to become the tag uh, team champions uh, because of Mr. Brody Lee. They then try and chant and get a chant going for his name. And then they walk off and the chant didn't really work out as well. But, yeah, I think that this was John Silver's got fucking comedic timing like a motherfucker. He's hilarious. Uh, I thought Colt was fine in this. I thought Alex Reynolds was fine in this. But I thought that, like I said, I think John Silver... He's got a chance, especially with this audience, especially with who's producing it, to be a big star in this company um, when it's all said and done. And I don't know where Brody Lee was. Isn't that kind of weird, Chris? I, I think they're playing up the fact that he got his ass kicked by Cody Rhodes. He's been right. out two weeks now, man. <laughs> well, I mean, Cody fucking wrapped a chain around his head and tried to hang him, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, uh, I guess I would do it to you. Also, I, it's probably a good thing they're giving Brody a little time off TV before they bring him back after losing to Cody. So no huge problem with that. But I agree with you. 
completely on this segment. He he definitely stole the show uh, as far as who was there giving promos. His predictions make me think that none of that shit is going to happen, and uh, we find that out <laughs> very very shortly hereafter when uh, Adam comes to the ring. Yeah, so we had the match with Adam Page going against uh, Mana. I thought this was a good match, man. What I, what I mean to say by that is I thought Colt Cabana, even though he did the Superman, he turned on some intensity and was not as goofy as he normally is in the ring, as, as predictable. Um, but like I said, back in the ring, uh, Cabana nearly finishes Page off with a Superman. However, Page hung in there and literally seconds later hits the buckshot lariat finisher for the pinfall victory to advance in the AEW World Eliminator Tournament. After the match, a bunch of Dark Order members come down to the ring, and we see Hangman looking cautious as they approach the ring. The announcers talk about Paige being squared up against Wardlow for the next round of the tournament. And uh, after you give, you know, what you got to say about it, I will uh, give you who's going to be in the tournament uh, the next round. What do you think about this match? I thought it was a really good match, and uh, Cole Cabana gets a lot of shit for being a comedy in quotation wrestlers. And even I've said that in the past, but in comparison to some of the other comedy shit we have out there, Cole Cabana is still a very good in-ring worker. Yep. Uh, and he, he showed that in this match. I thought it was a very good match and good to see Adam page moving on. We're, we're closer and closer to him versus Kenny unless uh, Pentagon somehow beats Kenny Omega. <laughs> All right. So yeah, that, that, that brings in two great matches that will follow up from this. To get to the finals, the semifinals, we got Pentagon going against Kenny Omega. Uh, if I hope they have as good as a match, if not better than their one at all in. And I see Kenny obviously advancing. And Paige has got to get through fucking Wardlow. So obviously it seems predictable, very much like Gresham going against Jay Lethal for the pure tournament. It seems like it would be the two tag team guys that were that are well with them at least they're at odds with Kenny. And uh, what you gonna call it, Adam Page? But I will even say that I think Page has the biggest problem ahead of him compared to Kenny with Pentagon. You mean vice versa? Because is, is Omega going against Penta, right? I think that Kenny and Pentagon. I think Kenny can go over Pentagon easier than I think that Page could go over Wardlow, basically. So we okay. Well, then we have vice versa opinions. I think that like. Wardlow can easily get left out to dry, but Pentagon still has that entire crew behind him, and that could cause Kenny the match itself, or Kenny's overconfidence. If if Page wins before Kenny, it could cause Kenny to freak out and cost him the match. I could see Pentagon being there to be the challenge. It just depends on what storyline they want to go with. If they're building for a feud between Omega and Page, then they can go that route, but they can also go the route of like, hey, the city Kingston shit's really working. So if we make Pentagon the number one contender, his best friend, let's see how good fr- good of friends they are. You could go that route too. So I, I would be more on the side of that. I think more than likely you're going to get Omega and Paige in the final. But if I was going to pick an upset, it would probably be the Pentagon upset. Yep. I don't know. Well, we had Sammy kind of make a uh, threat uh, to Matt Hardy. Are you 
Are you looking forward to more matches with Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy, or do you think that this last one that's going to be at full gear? I forgot where they said it's it's. I forgot their wording and their verbiage, but it makes it sound like they're going to be doing a match at the compound because it doesn't seem like is it unsanctioned maybe or it's not supposed to be actually at the arena. But Sammy Guevara, Matt Hardy, do you care for anything else? I would like to see them have a match from start to finish with no one getting hurt. <laughs> well, if um, they do at the compound, that's kind of possible since, you know, <laughs> they'll do multiple takes, I guess. I mean, on on Twitter, Sammy Guevara said he was going to set Matt Hardy on fire, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. Matt, it's, Matt, 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 Matt Hardy needs to transition back to broken Matt Hardy. I agree. I do. Um, Especially if they're going to do this match at the compound. I I get that he's trying to just get over his just Matt Hardy, but after everything he's been through with Sammy Guevara, this is the time to actually pull the trigger on that character again. And uh, if you're doing a compound match, which I'm not super excited about because there's been so many of these cinematography type wrestling matches as of late, but maybe this one could be really good. The Jacksonville like Jaguar stadium match was really good. So maybe they'll do a great job at it. Who knows? Yep. All right. We have Taz come out. He is followed by Taz and Ricky Starks. He addresses Will Hobbs and says, basically if he doesn't join him, that the human suplex machine is going to put the machine on him. Like what he did there with cage, uh, making a brief threat on the mic. And then he talks about Darby Allen, how Ricky Starks is going to destroy him. And Starks grabs a mic and rants a bit, uh, calling Allen a face-painted bitch. So this is all going into the wonderful segment we're going to probably talk a lot about. But what do you think about uh, Taz coming out here? Do you think Will Hobbs is going to be joining their faction? I do not. I do not think Will Hobbs is joining their faction. I think that's probably your next feud is him versus Brian Cage. I don't know how either of those guys are going to benefit from that because they both are kind of the same size and, and similar characters as far as how you would build them going forward. But, uh, yeah, I could have done without the Ricky Starks promo. I didn't think it was very good. I know you're higher on him than me. So maybe did you like it? I don't remember it that much. I didn't. Th- I just didn't think it was that bad. I usually yeah, think I mean, he cuts yeah. pretty good promos. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I, I'm just kind of over the Darby Ricky Starks thing. I agree with you on that. I don't know why this is still going at all. It's very similar to how I feel about Sammy and Matt. You know, I think we're kind of done with those. But hopefully this next time it'll be over. Yeah, the the only thing I would – I mean, the primary difference for me with the Sammy and Matt – or the Sammy and Matt match is that Matt probably wants to have a good blow-off match and not just what – happened to him at that last match that made just oh you mean a- flying off a giant platform and hitting his head on the fucking concrete while going through a table yes it's see i mean all things considering you think like he is actually taking sammy Guevara under his wing or something because otherwise why the hell would matt hardy want to do this match again i know for it- a fact he is actually uh okay. that's what jericho at least said that they both have been really working with sammy to get him to another level that they think he can be basically and I, I mean the the him throwing the chair at Matt Hardy that's totally on Sammy but the the fuck up in the last match no, like that's just that wasn't bad. on Sammy just, 
that that that's not that that part wasn't on Sammy, but throwing the wrong fucking chair at Matt Hardy's face <laughs> definitely was. He better not fuck up in this next match if it's at the Hardy compound because uh, Rebby Hardy might stab him. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll get a news headline. That's how we'll find out what happened on the fucking the compound thing. Look at Rebby Hardy has stabbed wrestler Sammy Guevara. Jesus Christ! Turns out she will cut a bitch. Uh, I love she Rebby will. Hardy. She's she rather die. Right or die. All right. So the next thing, they lead dinner, they bonner. Chris Jericho and MJF are at a restaurant scene. Uh, basically, a waitress comes up. She asks them what they want. Uh, MJF says that, oh, I want a steak with a baked potato. Make it medium well. What a dick. I mean, he's such a heel. He's got to order a fucking steak medium well. That's what I thought first of. Chris Jericho orders the exact same thing, but asks for it medium. So then, change that. Now MJF wants uh, medium rare. And then change that. Chris Jericho now wants rare. Keeps on going back and forth until they both ask for it raw, basically. Um, So they're talking. They're going back and forth kind of praising each other, giving each other shit a little bit. And this turns into a full-on dance number, uh, a la Family Guy almost. Uh, they're doing a song from Sinatra and um, I believe it was – was it Sinatra and Dean Martin? I don't know. I've never actually heard the song, and I'm a huge swing fan. You could tell that if Chris Jericho was singing uh, because his head was purple during the whole entire fucking thing – that it looked like he was lip syncing, so I don't know what the hell happened there. But MJF sounded great. MJF actually comes from a theater background. He, you know, he used to do opera and Broadway as a young kid. He was. Everyone's seen those videos where he's a cutie patootie, I guess you could say, on fucking Rosie O'Donnell. So next time, like MJF's talking shit, just call him a cutie patootie. I'm sure he'll punch you in the face. Uh, and doing his opera on there as a little child. So they do this whole dance number with, with the ladies. The thing that this reminded me the most of, and I know that people that have said this as a good way, as, as in kind of like what we were saying beforehand with all those other segments that didn't do well to, with the fans, you know, with WWE. Like, oh, okay, it's okay because remember when Vince McMahon did that whole entire segment in the 80s where he had all the wrestlers in the background and he did a dance number and blah, blah, blah. But I will retort that he didn't put that on fucking WrestleMania or any of their fucking big shows coming up to Saturday night's uh, Saturday night main event. That was on like a, a separate thing from what I remember. I think that was on the show where he used to uh, do the hosting. That was kind of like a night show that he used to do with Bobby the Brain Heenan in the late 80s. So apparently that's, I think, where they said Chris got the idea to do it initially. And I, I will say, I think Vince would like this fucking segment. Because I think that he believes, oh, this is good shit, sports entertainment, uh, if it was a part of his product. But I didn't like the segment. I thought it was fucking stupid. So I guess I'm one of those guys I, just too old school, but I, I just thought it was completely unnecessary and just dumb. And kind of made me just go, wow, MJF is a really great heel. He does an awesome dance number. What the fuck? Chris, what do you think? Yeah, it was fucking terrible. Look, like, if you want to compare it to other shit that's terrible <laughs> and be like, well, look, they do this. <laughs> like, you know, that's that's been everyone's defense is like, well, everyone else does this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, that the whole idea of AEW is they were supposed to be giving us something that's not the other kind of stuff. <laughs> so, like, I don't want to hear that fucking excuse. I don't want to hear that excuse. What you told me about AEW 
is wins and losses matter. That's how we're going to decide our title picture. And uh, we're not going to be fucking entertainers. We're not going to sing and dance. And, uh, well, <laughs> Dane, <laughs> they fucking sung and danced. <laughs> very badly. Well, well, Jericho very badly. He was not do, uh, He could not do the Dean Martin parts, I guess, of uh, me and my shadow. I was cool with it, with the promo at the beginning. I thought that was really funny with the steak. Like, I'm fine with them having those kind of interactions. That's the perfect level of humor you should kind of have in wrestling. And then they go into a fucking dance number, and I'm like, ah, damn, are you serious? And like I said, it wouldn't matter, except for this is Chris Jericho and MJF, who are people that you've heavily pushed on your fucking show. Like, if this was just a mid-card act or something probably not as big of a deal but jericho is your longest reigning champion your first champion a hall of famer and mjf is who you're trying to get over is your next top heel um from that standpoint it was bad like you know if you did this with our truth and uh akira tozawa or some shit i'd be like okay whatever but i think the people the reason people are upset about it as i said earlier is because of who was involved in it I did think it was funny that Jericho said it was Jim Cornette's idea on Twitter, though. That <laughs> he laughed pretty fucking hard. And yes, you are correct. Jim Cornette has already denounced uh, his feelings about MJF now. <laughs> he says, all right, I'm going to stop fucking praising every fucking person that's coming out now that I like. Because, you know, after this and Mance Warner and other people, they just all just make make uh, Jim sad, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I haven't heard the whole podcast. Hopefully he really liked the Eddie Kingston, John Moxley promos, because that was very old school and good wrestling. He always puts say, over their promos, for sure. I, I thought this was a good fucking, like, the rest of the show was good. I don't know why you did this, um, other than, hey, we're going to do something weird. But, look, you either loved it or you hated it. I'm on the side of the fence. I hated it. Hated and, it. Uh, if I'm going to fucking point to other shit I hate, I hated the Bray Wyatt John Cena match. I hated uh, the Elias song and dance <laughs> um, the same week. I didn't necessarily care for the Impact <laughs> pay per view match with Moose and EC3. I just generally hate this shit. So, this broad generalization of people being like, well, yeah, but WWE did it. It's like, well, that doesn't mean that you should do it. <laughs> you, should... <laughs> you know, like. If anything, that should be a warning that you should not do this. <laughs> not that, like, you know, in the 80s, yeah, that shit was funny. Whatever. But wrestling in the 80s in general in WWF was very cartoonish. It's what it's known as. You're supposed to be trying to put on a serious product. Okay, I'm done fucking burying this. Or we, or this can go on all day. But, look, I love Jericho. I love MJF. I think they're both – they could have done something hilarious without it getting this outrageous. That that would be my takeaway. This is really good shit. Is this our product? It's not. Cancel NXT. All right. Vin, uh, Vince, Vince, I, I don't even think Vince would have put that on the air. If I'm being completely honest, I know people are going to say that I'm wrong, but I don't think Vince would have put that on the fucking air. Unless he was in the dance number, then he probably down. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we've seen. We've all seen Vince dance. He's got some moves, man. He's got more moves than Jericho and MJF. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. All right, plus, so we have... Plus, uh, plus Macho Man knows how to play saxophone, apparently. 
if we're talking about that same video. <laughs> it's amazing. It is it is terrible, but also amazing to watch. But like I said, it wasn't on their main fucking. Anyways, all right. So we had the return of Doctor Brick Baker, DMD, going against Killian King. Uh, Doctor Brick Baker returns with a more elaborate ring entrance, complete with uh, cooler lights and fireworks and a Titantron video. While Tony Schiavone reads notes she gave him and demanded he mentioned throughout her match this evening. I love their relationship. It's fucking great. I always talk about this. But Baker looked good for her, for this being her first wrestling match back because that last one wasn't a fucking wrestling match. Reference what we've talked about with segment shit just now. Um, so that dentist's office battle. But she looked good, and she just dominated her. And the thing is, even though she acts like a heel, obviously winner Dr. Britt Baker, she got the uh, lockjaw submission with the gloves on just to be, uh, you know, be uh, safe. Um it's going to be hard now for her to be a heel for much longer, Chris. It just seems like people are going to want to root for her, even if she's a badass version of herself. Yeah, they need to swap her and Big Swole if that's the feud they're going to be going for. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't necessarily know how you go there, but the fans are clearly behind Britt Baker. They want to see her do well. It's it's because Shivani's so great. Her and Shivani's relationship is so good. And it's not that Britt Baker's done anything that's not heelish. It's just... She's just over with the fans. There's nothing you can do about that one. I like this match. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good showing from Britt Baker on on her way back, her first real match back. We'll see what they do with her from here. Um, yeah, she is still the champion. Where the fuck has she been the past two or three weeks? Oh yeah, I forgot she existed. It's a problem. Your champion should be on the fucking show. All right, so we had a vignette, um, and I'm assuming Darby Allen's going to be in the new Jackass movie because he was uh, with Steve-O in the black-and-white vignette, and uh, he says, Hi, I'm Darby Allen, and this is the body bag roll. And he gets in a body bag on the top of a giant ramp and uh, proceeds to go down it, rolling down it like a motherfucker, and then claims after coming out of it and going, Oh, what the... Like, in pain, he says that Ricky Stark's a dead man. Big fan of Darby Allen. I like it. Uh, I, I, he, his, his in-ring finesse is one of the best today. Like, he can just do stuff. His intensity's great. He's got a little bit of, of stuff that reminds a lot of people of Sting. He's got that, like, you know, no fear concept that, that reminds you of Jeff Hardy. He's got a little bit of that, I don't want to say emo, because now it's, like, looked down upon, but almost like that tortured soul concept, even though he's a baby face, that kind of reminds me of Raven. You know, I love him. I think he's a great all-around package wrestler. Um, should they let him do this shit? This is kind of like the, should they let their wrestlers go and do some of these smaller independent shows since they keep on having someone catch COVID that they have to keep off? You know, Joey was not the first one. Should they let Darby be doing these fucking crazy things like jumping off of fucking bridges? And and even this where, I mean, this one's probably one of the more minor, Chris, but... Who knows? I mean, if, if anything happened, he could have rolled something like his ankle or some shit while going down that. Like, they need to, like, let tell Darby to fucking chill out because they keep on they, they seem to like it because they keep on putting these videos on. But is Steve-O even that big of a name to do a jackass skit? You know what I'm saying? Nowadays, I think Steve-O has a big problem, right? Maybe he's Maybe. it. Is he more relevant than Johnny Knoxville, though? Why would you not try to get Johnny Knoxville if you're going to do this? Or bam. Yeah. Steve has always been like kind of the 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 third 
in that lineup of people you would try to get for something like this. But whatever. I mean, they did it. It's fine. I'm assuming it's just leading to some sort of body bag match. Where you have to beat your opponent and put them in a body bag. Um, body bag match. But I'm going to have to tend to agree with you. I think it's... uh, I don't think he needs it. I think the character is mysterious enough without him doing all of this crazy. They, we've already proven that Darby Allen's crazy at this point. He doesn't have to continue to do it week to week. I don't want to see the guy get hurt. I actually would like to see him get pushed past someone, <laughs> someone like Ricky Starks, you know, like we're I'd like doing to see this him with segment. an AEW title in the future. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing is we're doing this segment and the match is him versus Ricky Starks. Right. Like if you're going to do something like this, at least save it for something special. Like a title shot or something, you know, but whatever. I I, I would say that to me, it, you brought up some good names with Raven and such. I would say he's a little bit of a mixture of Jeff Hardy and Vampiro to me with Vampiro's yeah. kind of uh, horror punk misfits type character. Oh, wow. I didn't think of Vampiro. I like that. That's definitely true. Yeah, that's the thing is like I feel like uh, with the Raven comparison and maybe even Vampira to an extent, I feel like if Darby and we we'd want him to say babyface, but if he ever went heel, he could definitely tap into that aspect of being one of those guys that's got a vendetta because he's you know dark and gloomy or some bullshit. But put it way better because um, Raven and Vampira are way cooler than that sounded. Whatever. <laughs> I didn't think you put it that badly. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it still wasn't as bad as that Jericho dance segment. So you're, you're doing okay. <laughs> All right. So the last thing that we had, AW world tag team title, number one contender match. All right. Before we go into this, we kind of breezed over this and I do want to comment. Uh, this was, this, I'll start it off by a post uh, on a, on Twitter from a guy named uh, D- Tyler Drummond. I send this to you. Uh, and he was talking about AEW with a little bit of criticism. He said, I like AEW. I truly do. But I don't understand the point of a ranking system. If the TNT title is always an open challenge, the World Title Tournament doesn't have a single member of the top five, and the tag title number one contender match participants was decided in a random lottery draw. Because last week, that's how they did it. Fuck the whole entire goddamn concept of having top five ranking system they just put them you know old school royal rumble style and tony picked out the four fucking winners in this match now obviously it was pre-done duh but i'm just saying there's a good point to that we've talked about this fact that they're they're much more sports entertainment than they are wrestling or sports based which is what they kind of said you know what the hell is the point of having a ranking system with all the criticism that that guy just said he's not wrong um, I would say that they're, when they originally came up with the concept for the ranking system, they didn't know that they were going to go head-to-head with the next T, and now they just have to put out what they think is going to be the best storyline. True. So, I mean, that that's going to be the big thing, but I, I agree with him. Maybe the extra hour they're going to have on TV will help. It's it's going to be hard to say until, I guess, until we actually see it, right? But. Yeah, nothing he said is in- incorrect. I mean, it's all stuff that we say week to week. 
about this show, like with the random tag team title matches and the way they get around the ranking system is they have right now they have two title. They have two titles sets. They have the tag team titles and the open challenge titles. Well, three technically with the FTW title where you can just defend it against whoever you want pretty much. And then to do the tournament the way they did, um, it's a bit surprising. Yeah, why isn't LAX this goddamn thing? <laughs> I don't know. Why would why hasn't LAX been on the show in two weeks? That's a that's a good question. I don't know. I have no idea. Well, so for this match, the people that were picked, quote unquote, uh, the Butcher and the Blade going against uh, Alex Reynolds and John Silver, uh, Private Party, Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy. And the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. This was very spotty, but it was a lot of fun as well. I mean, it's a four-way tag match. These guys always, it's 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 on the go constantly. But I liked it. The thing that was really scary that happened in the match was towards the end, we had Private Party on opposite um, turnbuckles, like in corners. Uh, and Alex Reynolds was down. And one of them went for a splash, and the other one went for a leg drop. Well, when they leg dropped... Uh, hit Alex's head, he was knocked out cold. Uh, his arm went up stiff, and they didn't realize it at first, but they they eventually got him the fuck out of the ring, and he was taken out of the match. But really scary spot. I'm not going to go down AEW's throat. Just like the Phoenix thing, this stuff happens. It's not going to be like there's not going to be any type of injury. Anyone doesn't get a fucking stinger. Anyone doesn't get a concussion. This is pro wrestling. That type of shit happens. You're doing high-impact stuff. So I thought the way that they handled it, I know that the Bucks were tagged in next. They had no idea that Alex was hurt, and then it was very quickly aware and like, all right, we need to get him out. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, someone dragged him over to the corner to tag himself in and give him to the uh, the, the medics that were right there. But uh, yeah, scary, scary situation. Uh, obviously, I don't think it was uh, you know anyone thought differently. Um, that the Young Bucks would advance. So now we're finally going to have FTR going against the Young Bucks. And then this aftermath, very, very weird. We're going to talk about what I thought was actually like a, wow, they surprised the shit out of me with the reveal that happens on the exact like moment while this one's going down. And I'm watching them both. And this guy, so so we had uh, FTR come in, and they, they give beers to the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks slap them out of their hands. They look face-to-face. And we see this masked person come in with a chair. And I'm like, is this Sean Spears? Because I think technically he's still getting, you know, managed by Tully. And they're just going to throw him all into something. Like, no, it's definitely not Sean Spears. And I'm like, oh, it's Tully Blanchard. I'm like, it looks like an old man. Like, you can see his arms and shit. It it looked like an older dude. And guess what? It was fucking Tully. So they just beat the living hell out of him. And, uh, yeah, that was it. No No one came and helped them. FTR standing tall. And like I said, it was Tully Blanchard who was helping them. Was that obvious to you? How'd you like the tag match? Uh, how'd you feel about the Alex Reynolds spot? And how'd you like the aftermath uh, with Tully Blanchard coming in for the save? I guess. I, I thought the match itself was fine. Obviously, there was that scary spot that you talked about. Uh, Tully Blanchard coming in to make the save, or not the save necessarily, but for the uh, the beatdown. I was a little surprised by that. 
I, I thought it was going to be Sean Spears, but I wasn't paying as close attention as you was apparently with as far as like, looks like an older guy. I, I didn't notice that. Also what I should have known immediately as soon as I saw the bandana t- tied around to, to, the, the neck of the guy. Cause this is like Tully's new thing where he apparently lives in the wild, wild West and <laughs> wears like a bandana <laughs> scarf each week. That, that should have been the dead giveaway, but I wasn't paying close enough attention. <laughs> I like this. I mean, it gives us the match. Uh, of course, no one's going to come out to help the Young Bucks because uh, they've just been super kicking like Tony Schiavone and Alex Marvez and a bunch of random fucking people. Yeah. Who's the heel? Who the fuck's the heel going into this? Is both. This... Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. They're both heels. I mean, like, like even their friend Cody can't come out and help them because, like, He's a president in this company, and they're just throwing money at Tony Khan and kicking people. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so, like, the elite can't come out and help him either, because, like, the way Cody set up the show earlier is he's like, I have to go do my president duties of, of the company. He can't come out against Tony Khan. Now, what they could do from this is have Tony Khan hire someone, maybe an outside influence. Maybe someone like Tanahashi or mm. the Gorillas or the Gorillas of Destiny to come deal with these motherfuckers who keep who keep uh, who keep uh, let's say t- trying to take over the show in their own ways. See, normally I don't like, and obviously they they rarely use the um, you know interference ending up ending a match, but I will say. If during the FTR and Young Bucks match, Girls of Destiny were to come out and just decimate the fucking Young Bucks, belts go back on FTR, we can eventually have another set of matches with FTR and Bucks later on, and this sets up Girls of Destiny against the Young Bucks. I know you're fantasy booking and it's never going to happen, but I would be okay with that. I mean, it's fancy booking, but it's also us trying to find a way out of their shitty booking, which is a heel team versus a heel team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I don't put this on us. This is your fault. We're fantasy. We're trying to give you an out. I'm trying to help you. Damn it. Jericho. Why are you dancing? I mean, you could bring in the fucking Briscoes. You could, you could bring in someone else from a different company, but they, I, I mean, I guess the best friends could get involved. I think right. me and you were talking about this and just to close out AEW, we were talking about how, you know, with what's going on in the wrestling world, how WWE obviously is such an empire. They have Raw SmackDown, even NXT, to go against AEW. For, you know, the fact that they're doing extremely well. TNT likes them. Even if they got new people that came in, um, I still think TNT realizes how they're doing, as well as ratings. And they're giving them a second show. They'll be starting up soon. AEW really, since they have people that work for MLW involved in there since they have people that have worked for nwa or still do with thunder rosa coming in uh since they have people that work for triple a obviously with with kenny being their world champion you know take advantage of those situations how awesome would it be for you know like we said way before in the past you know we were talking about new japan who doesn't even have any relationships with them but like a tanahashi coming over or okada calling out kenny like, after he builds himself as his fucking heel, maybe he gets the title, and Okada's like, 
I'm still in your past, bitch, and shows up on AEW, takes him on. Or you have like Psycho Clown, who's one of the biggest names in, in AAA, show up on a show and, and, and call out, say, Pentagon, Phoenix, what the fuck are you doing? He's got our fucking championship, and neither one of you can beat him and take on Kenny to get that damn championship back there. Then bring it back to their promotion. Same thing with MLW. You could bring it back to their promotion. If you had Dynasty come on to help MJF against the Undisputed Era, you have you know Hammerstone and, and Holiday, and he builds them up. He helps MLW stock, who's just about to start. They help M- AAA. You, you put that hand out there, it just gives you good PR, makes you look to those fans that look at you as that, that ultimate healer, because fucking AEW and Tony Khan already look like that to a lot of them. And WA, same thing. I mean... You could have Lance Archer try to go against Nick Aldis for the championship. Keep having Thunder Rosa come back because you know she's a draw. There's just a lot they can do. And kind of what we were talking about, screw Grills of Destiny. The best one would be, honestly at this point, would be the Good Brothers. I know that requires a relationship with Impact, but I'm just saying there is that with Don Callis and, and Jericho. And when they were trying to get the Good Brothers and AJ to leave a, uh, before they re-upped in their contract with WWE – they were going to have them come in the first night in Dynamite. Kenny and the Elite are in the ring. Out comes, you know, more members of the quote-unquote Bullet Club with, you know, uh, AJ and, and uh, those guys come out. And then they beat the living fuck out of the Elite and show that they're separate from them. So same concept. If you had the, the, the Good Brothers come out and cause – or like we're saying, Gorillas of Destiny or the Briscoes – and cause the Young Bucks from getting the titles finally from FTR, that's actually a pretty good storyline. That's actually good storytelling, and you can still have real actual competitive matches with those two in the future. I I like that idea. I I think that interaction and helping out some of these smaller companies like MLW, NWA, AAA, even AAA, who's huge in Mexico, as they're getting back started, since you already have, putting out that hand would only be beneficial for AEW. I agree with you 100%. You just named some great crossovers. Uh, Like I said, my only worry about this tag team feud is no one is a babyface. There's no fourth member of this four horsemen group. Or third member, I should even say, if Tully's the J.J. Dillon. Um, You can't have FTR lose to the Young Bucks in the first match. You just can't do it. And to me... Young Bucks are heel right now, and the biggest face tag team they have is the best friends who have already lost to FTR. So I just I don't know where you're going unless you're bringing someone in. Yep, I don't know either, man. And we'll have to see, but I think that I will say I really enjoyed AEW this week. I think that goes beyond saying that even the dancer team was – very risky, very ballsy, I'll give them that. But that was the only thing I didn't like mostly out of the whole show, besides some of the semantics we talked about with them not actually living up to the, the ranking system itself and just doing stuff. But the matches, minus the two injuries also, thought were pretty damn good. It's always a fun show. I, I agree with you. I thought it was a great show outside of uh, the, the couple things you named. I wasn't even as hard on the ranking system because I just don't feel like they give a shit about it anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead. I'm just going to go ahead and accept that as a fan um, and think that the, maybe that hand was pushed to them 
and this is where we're at now. But uh, outside of that, the the Jericho thing was probably the worst thing on the wrestling show. The rest of the show was tournament based. We had some we had some good matches. We got Burt Baker's return. We had great Eddie Kingston promos. They they're building. They're doing really good at building the Pentagon Ray Phoenix feud. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot to complain about outside of the Jericho thing, which I, I feel like a lot of people should take notice. It's like if if the only thing you can complain about is one segment on the show, it was a pretty good fucking show. Because how much shit did we complain about on Raw <laughs> before we got here? Yeah, that's that's the biggest. Like I said, if I can just understand that NXT is a better wrestling show than Raw or SmackDown – and AEW is the better, you know, sports entertainment based show than Raw or SmackDown. It's not that bad. It's more the thing that I always have with AEW is the fact that you kind of sold us a false bill of goods. So, but, to some to some extent, but they've also given us some really good fucking matches. So I'm yes. kind of, I'm just, I'm at this point, I'm kind of over what the the initial concept of what that show was going to be was tossed in the shitter as soon as Vince was like, well, we're putting NXT head to head against you. That's a good point. I mean, there, it's kind of hard not to say that, right? I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate though. Cause I feel like both of those shows would have more viewers and make more money if they were on separate fucking nights, but that's a different, we've had that conversation. <laughs> different conversation for a different day. What are you going to do? All right, well, let's move on to our last show. We're doing this pretty good, actually. Not, not, not bad timing with all the stuff we've talked about. That's for damn sure. Opening match, awesome match between Tommaso Ciampa, the Velveteen Dream, and Kushida. And I'm very surprised at the outcome of the end. Uh, but I definitely think this was a pretty good three-way. Dream, once again, great at selling. He's been way better in the ring as of lately than when, obviously, he first came off his injury. And all the other stuff. Uh, but at the end of the match, we would have Dream with a two count on Kushida as Champa breaks it up. Champa fights Dream off. The trade shots in the middle of the ring. Champa goes for the fairy tale ending, but is blocked. Champa dodges a kick and rolls Dream for a two. Dream with the super kick to Champa. Dream with the Dream Valley driver to Champa with a two count as Kushida breaks it up. Dream stands tall. Uh, he taunts Champa and Kushida. Champa and Kushida both unload on Dream. Than each other. Champa with a running boot to Dream. Kushida sends Champa to the floor, then flies out the other side to take Dream down on the floor. Kushida runs the ropes again and flies out on Champa. He then flies out to nail Dream one more time. Dream sold that and also both times actually was a little bit out of position and ran to Kushida to make sure he caught him well and just got fucking annihilated. Kushida comes back to the apron, but Champa hits him with the Willow's Bell. Dream stops Champa from hitting the fairy tale ending on Kushida. Dream and Kushida tangle now. Uh, Champa sends Dream to the floor. Champa kicks Dream back to the floor. Kushida rolls him for a two count. Dream decks uh, Champa with his cast from the apron, uh, but Dream gets knocked back to the floor. This sends Champa into a German suplex from Kushida and gets the win. Kushida wins over Tommaso Champa. After the match, Dream appears to take credit. While down at ringside, as Kushida celebrates in the wing, uh, Ciampa is laid out. So, wow, Tommaso Ciampa, not Velveteen Dream, takes the pin against Kushida. I think that's a very good thing for Kushida. 
they're definitely building them up, Chris. That was a good match. I fucking love this match because I liked this is what I was hoping they would do is have Kushida win. But I think the real feud based on at least the way the match was presented coming out of this is Velveteen Dream versus Ciampa, right? Because it seemed like Ciampa was going after Dream the entire match and doing it very, very well, like slamming the casted arm into the announce table and some of the other spots between those two. Champa got the win, but I think, or not Champa, uh, Kashida got the win, but I feel like the the actual feud coming out of this is uh is going to be Velveteen Dream versus Champa, and that Kashida is getting pushed into the title picture. It seemingly, at least, am I crazy on this? If not the title picture, at least the fucking North American. He's definitely getting put in a title picture at some time. Yeah, he's getting a huge push. And he's been fucking incredible and deserves a push because Kashida has always been amazing. I'm glad they're finally – maybe they're listening to our show and, and realizing that Kashida's great. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. All right, so the Undisputed Era is backstage with Adam Cole checking via video. It was so funny because you have the three of them like all tough behind a fucking cell phone on a stand, and Cole's just you know rocking on a promo – Said he's getting better each day. Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, and Roderick Strong talk about how they will bring home the NXT Tag Team titles. And this is undisputed, says Cole. Uh, we also have a promo for Halloween Havoc. Uh, Dexter Loomis will be going against Cameron Grimes in a Haunted House of Terror match. I don't know what the fuck that is. And then uh, uh, Wade Barrett challenged Vic Joseph to a costume contest. And we also find out – I think that was a joke. Uh, Rhea Ripley – We'll be going against Raquel Gonzalez at Halloween Havoc in a video package for the two of them. Looking forward to that match. Definitely think that Rhea Ripley is going to get another big win, just like Mercedes. But uh, do you have anything to say about Adam Cole, uh, you know, via cell phone video, talking his promo, talking that shit? Man, I'm trying to recall anything that really stood out. I mean, I thought the promo itself was pretty good, but there was nothing that really just – I just – the, the fact that it was me. over the cell phone, it was a cell phone on a thing with the two, the three of them like in the background, like yeah, we're badasses. Like I love the undisputed era, but even Adam Cole can make a group of the four of them look cool on a fucking cell phone, given a promo. I have to agree with you. I'm just, I'm still confused on what they're doing with that group. <laughs> well, by the end of the night, I'm, st- I think I know where it's going at least for right now. But yeah, me too. No idea. All right, uh, Jesse Kamea went against uh, Ember Moon in her first singles match. Ember looked a hell of a lot better in this match than she did that tag match where she seemed a little bit – had a little bit of ring rust. But uh, Moon with the standing moonsault towards the end of the match, uh, she would get a two count. Moon with a cross uh, crossface submission. Moon keeps control with more offense, then goes into a leg submission as Kamea crawls for the ropes. Kamea breaks it and sends Moon flying into a turnbuckle. Kamea keeps control. After the block, Kamea with a huge knee in the corner and a spinning heel kick to drop Moon again. Kamea with a springboard elbow drop for a close two count. Moon blocks an Irish rip and nails a code breaker from the corner. Then she applies a unique submission in the middle of the ring for the win. After the match, Moon stands tall and her arm is raised. Uh, Dakota Kai suddenly attacks Moon and talks some trash to her face. Uh, Moon recovers staring Kai down. So it looks like we're in those two. That should be an awesome match. 
Thought Moon looked really good in this. And I'm glad, based on her injury, since it was an Achilles injury, that they have something to switch to where she doesn't have to, like, as much as I think the Eclipse is awesome, the flip over fucking stunner. It's good that she, they're giving her a submission move in her repertoire so she doesn't have to put so much damage on her body because I'm sure if she lands wrong and tries to, like, land on her feet a little bit with that, she could re-rupture that fucking Achilles. So I think it's smart to pick your spots when it comes to that move. But uh, what do you think about this, and how do you feel about Dakota Kai going against Ember Moon? I love the concept of Dakota Kai versus Ember Moon. I think that'll be a great match. I'm glad that Dakota, or not Dakota, but Ember Moon got a win here. I did miss her intro. Did she come out on the motorcycle again, or are they done with that? Um, I don't remember, actually. But, uh, I, I mean, I like what they're doing with Ember Moon. I agree with you. I think giving her a different finish is not a bad idea. I will say this about the entire female division. Everyone has a fucking submission finisher. No one has an impact finisher. So she should save that as a big moment spot. So if she's going to have a big match against Dakota Kai, pull it out there. She doesn't have to do it week after week after week. I think it would actually make it more special if she saves it for one of those big moments, say like down the line, she goes against Charlotte flair or something. And then out of nowhere, you're like, Holy shit. I forgot that she did that. Um, it's one of those moves. That's so good. It's like Randy Orton's punt when they protected it for so long. Um, some things are better left, not done every week. And that to me, that move is one of them. It's just so good. You don't want to use it week after week after week, because then it becomes kind of like the Canadian destroyer. But if you pull it out for a very special occasion, and I think that's how they should treat it, because like you said, there there are a, a bazillion different ways you can come down wrong on that. And that's not how she got hurt to begin with, but um, it, is a, it is kind of a very risky move that requires a lot of cooperation from your opponent. So saving it for a very special moment is probably not the worst idea in the entire world. All right, so big thing that happened, we go to backstage to Bobby Fish struggling to stand up. Trainers, Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly, are asking him what happened. Fish says he didn't see who hit him, but he was attacked. We go to commercial. So this would happen later on, obviously, with Roderick Strong. Someone's taking out the members of the Undisputed Era. Um, if you have any comment now, or you can talk about it later on when we get to the, uh, when we get to the attack against Roderick Strong. All right, so Austin Theory. No, no, sorry about that. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by the outcome of this later on. But, yeah, we we, we should wait and talk about it then, I think. All right. So Austin Theory went against Bronson Reed. God damn it. Uh, Once again, he's out there talking shit. uh, You know, as he's a badass, even though we've seen him have these great matches, he keeps on losing them, obviously. Well, that would continue tonight. He had a match with Bronson Reed. He started off by talking shit about Bronson like before he even got in the ring, which pissed him off. And then he just bounced off of Bronson Reed just a million fucking times and was getting his ass kicked. Um, he got a little bit of offense, but Bronson Reed would slowly get you know, a win over him with the uh, Tsunami Splash. And after the match... You know, Reed's leaving, and Theory once again starts talking crap about him. 
uh, and saying that he's done more in his uh, he's he's 23 and he's done more in the business than Reed has done with his stupid 15 year career. That wasn't uh, good for Bronson Reed. He comes in, the ref fucking calls the match again. Easily gets a fucking Samoan drop. Down goes Austin Theory. And then when someone's checking on him, Mackenzie Mitchell comes to give, a, I think, an interview. He says, I quit. And uh, Austin Theory, um, you know, quits, apparently, and drives off after the match. So how would you like this, Chris? I just want to know what your reaction is. What the fuck, man? Like, is, is Austin Theory still being punished, or are they ever going to try to get this guy over? I don't know, man. Maybe, like I said, I, I feel like him and Velveteen Dreamer are going to be in a tag team soon together. May as well. Like, I don't know. They've killed this guy the past three weeks, so I, I feel like maybe they're just done. Maybe his quit is an actual quit. Maybe. I don't know. If you want to do something fun with, with Austin Theory... Not that I think he's a bad promo. You know, Robert Stone, where's he been? Have him do something. Have Austin Theory be the first male wrestler he gets. Have him be the mouthpiece to take a little bit away from the fact that Austin Theory is coming off these allegations and then try to rebuild him into the North American title picture or something. But they have uh, they've essentially killed a guy that I thought could have been a huge star. Granted, some of that is his own fault. I I don't know if you can rehab him at this point. I got to figure out something, I guess. I don't know. All right, so Mackenzie Mitchell's backstage with Zia Lee and Casey Canazaro. They have a match tonight. You know, Casey uh, Zia Lee apologizes for what happened the week before. Casey says, "Don't sweat it." She says she needs a win tonight, and they don't, both don't understand that she really needs a win. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, and then we had Licato de Fasmo, uh, going against Isaiah Swerve Scott, Jake Atlas, and Ashanti the Adonis. This was a fucking awesome three-on-three luchador mask, really fast-paced, and I love, I don't know if they're going for something, it seemed like, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, Escobar, he's getting his ass kicked. He almost caused him the match, and it took... You know, uh, the other members, Wild tags in, and they double-team Adonis with just him and Raul Mendoza to get the win. So it almost seemed like the Cruiserweight champion himself, and now that they've gone back in UK, uh, who Jordan Devlin's calling the the false Cruiserweight champion. I don't know when they're going to do that. But, um, you know, Santos Escobar didn't really look good in this match at the end. He actually, Isaiah was beating his ass outside, from my recollection. And the two other members had to win the match for him. So uh, very interesting wrinkle. But after the match, Mendoza helps Escobar up at ringside. Uh, Wild stands tall on the stage and taunts Swerve as their music plays. Did you notice that same thing? Do you think that this is setting up the fact that are they going to make it look like he needs the two of them? It, it seemingly, yes. I would tend to agree with you there. Uh, out of curiosity... What did you think about Jake Atlas in this match? Because I thought he was really fucking good. Jake Atlas is phenomenal, man. That cartwheel DDT that he does, the LGB DDT, is fucking awesome. It's it's pretty fucking incredible. Out of all of the cats in this match, he is the one that stood out the most to me. Yeah, I would. Uh, and I mean, you're in there with 
with fucking Swerve Scott and you know you're basically in there with, with Fantas with, with uh, El Fantasmo and fucking wow I've actually forgot Isaiah Swerve Scott's old name Shane Strickland you know two guys that have been a part of the cruiserweight division in the Indies and all these other companies and yeah I would say even even over DJZ and Raul Mendoza none of those guys are bad but I think you're right the one that showed off the most was Atlas he's definitely got that championship I think in the future yeah he has to have he has to get a title run there I didn't get to see the follow-up on 205 live so I apologize for people listeners out there but Jake Atlas uh he has stood out to me a lot I liked that last uh Phantasma and Swerve match though at yep. the pay-per-view, so I want to see them continue that feud. But if I had to look at one person in this thing and say, okay, that's the fucking guy, Jake Atlas, which you can go back to the cruiserweight actual tournament, I guess to some extent, uh, he's been incredible, and is probably to me was the standout in this match. Yeah, I agree with you. As I kiss my cute little kitty, what are you doing? Quit messing with me. You're being too damn cute. Anyways, um, so we see Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae at home. Now, I will say, I have really disliked this whole entire thing. Them being like the, the, the bitchy neighbors in the fucking subdivision, you know, in suburbia. But this segment actually made me laugh. It, it popped me a couple times because basically they think that if they practice spinning the wheel, because they both have to do a spin the wheel, make the deal type of match. Um that you know they'll get better at it i guess so the first one that gargano spins and picks is a buried alive match and he's not happy he's like oh great great damian priest me in a buried alive match like this is going to be fucking awesome so candace spins and she gets a street fight she says this is great because she's undefeated in street fights and can beat uh nxt women's championship champion io shirai and then gargano tries again and he gets a casket match he asks the real wants him dead. Gargano yells about how much he hates the wheel and said he's going to bed. He said, at least I didn't get the coal miner glove, which was a pretty little funny uh, extra part. And then he tells Candace to get rid of the wheel. So, um, yeah, like I said, I usually hate these segments, but I thought this was kind of funny. Um, do you think anyone's going to get the coal miner glove, Chris, on the spin the wheel, make a deal? Is that choice taken off? <laughs> Very, very doubtful. But is Damian Priest still a dark enough character for him to be scared about like a uh, casket or buried alive match? No, I, maybe he just doesn't want to be put in a casket or buried alive, just in general. Okay, okay. But out, outside of that, yeah, it was it was funny. I, I feel like Damian Priest needs to win that match. Candice LeRae, I, I don't think she's taking the title off of you. I don't think either are winning again, which kind of seems pointless, but whatever. It's on a television show, even though they're calling it Halloween Havoc. I still appreciate it. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him some praise, I guess. Anyway, so Everize went against Killian Dane and Drake Maverick. Um, yeah, it's exactly the same thing, you know, that they've been doing. But uh, Everize wins by DQ because Drake Maverick goes apeshit crazy and decides to start taking their chair to everyone. Um, so, yeah. I know you love this. No, I'm done with it. I don't think there's any way to rehab this for me. I'm just fucking done with it. <laughs> it sucked. Hey, All it right. was still better. It was still better than the dancing and singing, though. <laughs> on EW, so. 
shots fired. Oh, God. All right, so the camera cuts backstage, and we see Roderick Strong laid out. Kyle O'Reilly and several trainers check on him, and we go to commercial. Back from the break, NXT general manager William Regal is with Kyle O'Reilly, Oni Lorcan, Danny Birch, NXT tag team uh, champions Bizarro and other or Brazongo, I should say, and others. O'Reilly tells Regal to, to give tonight's title shot to Lorcan and Birch. They offer to give him a partner, but he's not interested. O'Reilly walks off, and Regal says it will be between Brazongo and Lorcan and Birch. The two teams shake hands. That kind of worked out uh, conveniently, you know? Kyle O'Reilly is like, just, just do it. Just take them. It's fine. I don't need to get a tag team partner. I guess if it's not an undisputed error, what's the point, though, at the same time, right? Yeah, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of this. I tend to agree with you on this one. I don't I, know, I, man. Weird. I mean, it's not super weird if the idea is Kyle O'Reilly is going to be the outcast at some point in this group, but they keep they keep seeming like they're going that way and then they just dial it back. So I'm not getting excited about anything involved in this segment. All right. So Zaylee won against Katie Canizaro at the end. Uh, Canizaro won. So Zaylee did not get what she wanted. Uh, and she stands tall. The lead drops her from behind. Lee says she should have won. Carter comes in for the save and gets dropped. Lee uploads on Canizaro in the corner. Rachel Gonzalez comes from behind and lays Lee out. Gonzalez presses Canizaro high above her head and tosses her onto Carter. Gonzalez picks Carter up high in the air and slams her back on the mat. Uh, Gonzalez takes the mic and tells Rhea Ripley that this is what awaits her next week on uh, Halloween Havoc. So she better get bigger and better. And then she marched back in the back. We have Mackenzie in the backstage with Cameron Grimes asking about next week's Haunted House of uh, Terror match. Grimes is confident until he hears that this is a Haunted House of Terror match. What the fuck? Never mind. We need Dexter Loomis. Uh, we see Dexter Loomis staring at Grimes from the other side of the door. Grimes never sees him. Grimes insists he's not afraid. He's defeated uh, Loomis multiple times, and after this win, he's going to the moon. Grimes walks off, but he's not so sure about the win now. Back to commercial. There is also a little thing they, they put on <laughs> Twitter of Cameron Grimes getting interviewed, and he got a picture that uh, that whatchamacallit, uh, Dexter Loomis drew, and it was Dexter Loomis holding his head basically, and he's like, "Wait, wait, he forgot my body." So that was uh, that was pretty funny because he was literally just holding his head. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Uh, I know you don't care because I don't care either about the Zaylee shit. Um, not really. I mean, I don't even. What the fuck is a haunted house of terror match? Am I forgetting something in WCW Mythos? Not that I'm aware of. This seems more like a Bray Wyatt type match. Are they going to be fighting in uh, the burnt down house of uh, they? Did they rebuild Abigail's house or whatever? Like I, I have no idea. Hopefully it's uh, that weird match from um, from fucking TNA. Was it called the Monster Balls match where they just hang weapons? from the ring there's like chainsaws and shit hopefully that's what it is oh jesus christ all right so timothy thatcher's in the ring he's giving a live session uh thatch as thatch ken training and he's got his student anthony green 
who's a brand new person from the NXT training. So he just signed with them and he's showing examples and, uh, you know, uh, Andrew's doing well, uh, you know, cause Thatcher's trying to bully him. He turns and Thatcher, uh, you know, gets a little bit aggressive with him. Uh, Thatcher asks Andrew if he's a tough man and wants, a wants to fight him and they go to a match and Timothy has like a little bit of problems with Andrew, but obviously immediately gets a win after a big uppercut and then a single leg crab in the middle of the ring while Andrew steps or taps out. And then Thatcher, Thatcher breaks the hold. The referee tries to break it and Thatcher finally lets go. Thatcher ends up kicking Andrew out of the ring as fans boo him or the audio boos him. Thatcher flexes for the camera as his music hits. So yeah, man. Um, Interesting. I guess they're showing you that they like this Anthony Green kid that they're calling Andrew. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, would you call that somewhat of a push? Mm, I, I don't know. I, I felt like the match itself was okay, but this this one to me was just weird. I didn't have a good. I don't have a good response for you here on this. <laughs> Maybe is that? I mean, do. You, <sighs> You're 100% right. Do you call this a push? Because I thought Timothy Thatcher was getting a push, and uh, they've proven to me that that's not the case. Which I don't get. Um, I don't know. Interesting. Well, the last match that we had of the evening, Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch going against Brazongo. Uh, towards the end of the match, Fandango tags in Breeze. Lorcan comes in and sends Fandango to the floor. Lorcan drops Breeze and applies a single leg crab as Birch applies a cross face to Breeze at the same time. Fandango makes a save. Breeze and Birch are down on the mat now. Fans rally as Birch gets up first, selling his hurt knee. Breeze takes Birch down and goes to work on the knee. Breeze goes to the top, but Birch crotches him. Birch with a cutter from the top for a two count as Fandango tackles Lorcan and Birch and Breeze to break up the pin. Champs nail double super kicks to Birch, then to Lorcan in the middle of the ring. Fandango goes to the top, but here comes the masked man, shoving him off the top to the floor. The man runs back under the ring. Birch comes from behind and nails a shocked Breeze with a low blow. Birch and Lorcan hit a double team on Breeze, and Lorcan covers, pins, and wins the NXT Tag Team Champions. So... You know, we've we've always said they're really tough, but, you know, obviously they're jobbers. Well, they got the fucking titles. And uh, how they got those titles? So, like I was saying beforehand, we had Tully Blanchard in a tag match type of setting, being the third guy to be helping out FTR. At the same time, who the fuck helped out Lorcan and Birch? <laughs> so, uh, their music hits, and they start celebrating with the title. The masked man comes in the ring and hugs the new champs. He finally takes off his mask, and it's Pat McAfee. McAfee introduces Birch and Lorcan as the new champs and says that it's undisputed. The celebration continues, and McAfee, Birch, and Lorcan pose together at his NXT goes off air. Well, let's just go back not too long ago, Chris, where when we found out that Pat McAfee was going to be involved with the storyline, we fucking hated it. Then NXT TakeOver happens. He goes against Adam Cole and has a fucking amazing match. If you were to say using a celebrity or athlete, might have been one of the best actual wrestling matches 
of of the past, even though I don't think that Pat's probably at that huge of a level, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and everyone wanted him back, and he's a great heel. Now, it's weird that they're pairing him with Tony, uh, Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch, but at the same time, Pat McAfee is back. So it's probably going to be the Undisputed Era against him is what they're going for. So Adam Cole and him have that. And wouldn't it be weird if Kyle O'Reilly joins up with him? Was there a mole? That's what I'm asking you. Uh, it would be super weird, but that would be awesome. Um, I, I've already publicly apologized to Pat McAfee. Thought he did way better than I thought he was going to do. And uh, this is interesting. Continues that feud between him and Adam Cole. And I uh, like the match. It's... It's a bit odd that there was not really a build for a title switch, but maybe, I, I mean, I guess that's what they're going with. I felt like Brazingo was has been really, really good as of late, so I, you know, it sucks for them that they're going this way just because of the storyline. Yeah, that's definitely a uh, tragic concept, is that the two of them finally got a tag team belt. I think they defended it maybe twice, and now have already lost it. Against Loken and Birch. So that's got a bit, little bit of a ego stabber. Maybe they're going to go separate after this. Who knows? Well, that would be my dream, is they're finally actually going to do something with Fandango. But we'll, we'll fucking see. Yeah, who knows if that's going to happen or not. All right. So the last thing that we should go over. Also, like I said, I thought most of the stuff on NXT was great. And I think that the wrestling... I mean, the opening match, that three-way that they had, the even the giant fucking luchador match with the three-on-three, you know, they, they, they had a lot of great wrestling, and that tag match at the end was pretty awesome as well. So uh, kudos NXT for that. All right, so yeah, let's go. I, yeah, I, Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say I agree with you. I thought it was a really good show. I didn't think it was as good as AEW, but it – was a very, very, very good fucking wrestling show. For sure. All right, so we have the ratings in. AEW, 735,000. NXT, 644,000. Now, because everyone's going to want to know this, during the Lay Dinner Debonair, they had six or 676,000, while NXT had 607,000. Uh, 18 to 49, 352,000 compared to 178,000. So there you go. Um, I mean, there's nothing else to say besides, I mean, this pissing contest that basically Chris Jericho is kind of having <laughs> with Vince, more so probably Hunter, but with Vince in his head. Um, they're very similar every fucking week. They just cannibalize each other's ratings and i wish nxt would move to thursday i mean i don't have much to say if we were to compare to last week um last week's was 735 or 753,000 for aw and 644,000 so not a lot of difference um just kind of killing each other a bit in certain aspects uh ratings wise overall what do you say, Chris? Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. And there's also that 100,000 people that crossed over both shows and switched between them. Uh, 
that probably hurts both of them. But we, I mean, we've talked about this to no end at this point. I I don't understand how USA as a network doesn't want to just move this and get as much like as many ratings as they want. With TNT, it's a little more difficult. Not as much now that basketball's over, but the reason they're slotted in that schedule is because of the NBA. Like that's the entire reason that AEW got put there. With USA, uh, they can kind of put that product wherever the fuck they want. So it's still weird to me that they don't want as many people watching live as possible. It's strange and it's always going to be strange, but you know what else is strange? The fact that we're able to get through that much information in less than, than three and a half hours. Shit. I'm, I'm surprised we got this in less than four fucking hours, let alone three and a half. So, you know, I'm patting myself on the back. I'm patting you on the back. Just, you know, not next to you, but we got over, we went over a lot of wrestling guys, and that's because we love you guys. And uh, yeah, you know, we just want to be able to get all of the information out, talk about wrestling, because we're wrestling fans. So I guess that's it. That's a show. Uh, Chris, say goodbye to all the lovely people. Plug whatever you'd like to plug, and let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> goodbye, you lovely people. Everyone, get excited for Hell in the Cell. Should be a fun show. Definitely gonna watch that live. So if you want to talk about it on Twitter can be at Chris R. Patton. More than happy to talk about that. And uh, yeah, I got some got some podcasts out there. We did we did a couple of horror movie podcasts for Geek Vibes uh, Nation. Check those out. We had Beth, best death scenes, favorite horror directors, and um, like most underrated films or, or films that other people might not like that you like that that's out there. And then Skates the Throat should have a new episode up mid next week. If you're a hockey fan and uh, we're going over the interstate rivalry. So uh, the LA Kings versus um, the San Jose Sharks. That should be, that should be a good time as well. Yep. And uh, you know, check out, I'm going to be having a, probably a Dan, a Dan Rance. I don't even know my own name, a Dan Rance later on this uh, upcoming week uh, coming out for you. I'm going to be talking about a lot of cool stuff. A lot of stuff I'm very excited about, some of the stuff that's going on now with the reshoots for the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, the information that we've heard about Spider-Man uh, with their Spider-Man 3 movie with Andrew Garfield and, um, you know, uh, Tobey Maguire, pretty much everything but confirmed. You know, we just need that one confirmation from Variety, but from what the people I've heard about, it's pretty much confirmed. want to go over a little bit of Halloween-related stuff. And uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the awesome uh, horror show that was the debates this last time. You know, go into some of the aspects like that. Definitely. Uh, and also uh, maybe maybe go up to bat for a couple guys named Rock, Mark Ruffalo and Chris Pratt with the uh, wonderful fucking part of Twitter that I, I love so much. Anyways, just look for that. If you want to hear some stuff like that, I'm going to try to get another person. Maybe it's Chris. Maybe it's whoever, Nick, to join me and talk about this stuff. But Dane Rant's coming out this week. And like always, thank you guys so much for listening. We love all of our old listeners. Thank you to our new listeners. Keep on checking us out every week. We usually get these shows up by Friday, Saturday for the first show, and Sunday and Monday for the second show. So you guys can know what we do. We go over NXT and AEW. Usually we record on Wednesdays, or on Thursdays, I should say. And then we usually do a Saturday show, normally, and go over SmackDown and Raw. So, going to be trying to get back that schedule next week. 
go to Wrestling Geeks Alliance on Google. You'll find different audio platforms. Find the one that works for you the best. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're uh, sometimes they put the audio clips on Geek Fives Nation YouTube page. Uh, you know, all the major ones we're a part of. Uh, and also, you know, an iTunes. That's another one. Pretty sure it's big. Go to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Find information on geekvibesnation.com. That's Geek Vibes Nation. There you'll find articles from all of our amazing writers and just a buttload of other stuff geek-related, including wrestling. And you'll find our Twitter, our Facebook, and our Instagram at Geek Vibes Nation. So join Geek Vibes Nation. And, uh, yeah, just um, love talking to you guys about wrestling. We'll be back next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and have a happy Halloween. All right, peace out, and let the Geek Fives be with you.